The following podcast is not for children and contains discussions of adult themes. In addition, this particular episode discusses natural disasters. Listeners' discretion is advised. And remember, listeners, the dreamiest thing you can do is listen to your own needs. Welcome back to the Three Little Words podcast, where we read and rank romance novels on steaminess, dreaminess, and memeiness. I'm Nicole. And I am not Claudia. Again, Coke here. I was here for the Love Me Whole episode, and I was told that I should be the one to read this book, so I'm back again to host. (laughs) Welcome back, Oak. Thanks. And we are joined by another special guest. Drum roll. Hi, I'm Forrest. Back again. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Happy to have you. Have you return for another wildfire session? Oh, yes. As we continue our journey through all the wildfire books. And so this (laughs) week we will be discussing Wildfire Sea Dragon, which is the, what is it, the third book now? Yeah, the third. In this series. I've lost track. We're only number three. This does not bode well for the future. Three of six. (laughs) Hey, we're halfway. Halfway. So first impressions of this book. I liked it. And I thought it was really good. I think this is my favorite wildfire book so far. Yeah, I agree. agree. Just, uh, I'm, I think I'm in love with both of our leads here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 1000%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, this is my reread because I've read, read this series before. And so I just spent the entire reread just being like, wow, I love them so much. <laughs> Okay, so Wildfire Sea Dragon takes place the following year after the events of the first two books. Yeah, I was surprised that it was that long of a time jump. Yeah, it's right after the author's note, and normally I like skip through all that preamble. Wow. But I know. <laughs> Zoe's wrote that for you, Nicole. I only care about plot, but... uh. <laughs> No, there was a, (laughs) this was a useful information here. Yeah, so the crew spent their winter off duty, and now it's the start of a new fire season. Exciting. And we're in Vegas. (laughs) And we're in Vegas. I'm going to Vegas in February. So our little Amazon description here. She's the woman of his dreams, and meeting her is his worst nightmare. (gasps) The middle of raging wildfires is not where one usually finds sea dragons, But Joe, crown prince of Atlantis, is not a typical sea dragon. Joe spent his whole life striving to escape all the stupid traditions and inflexible rules of sea dragon society. Fighting fires with his all-shifter hotshot crew is far more appealing than sitting on a throne. Even with all the weird crap that's been happening lately. Joe didn't sign up to fight demons, but hey, that's much better than facing his destiny. Unfortunately, destiny is about to catch up with him. The Empress has decreed that her heir must have a bodyguard. Of course, who gets stuck with the humiliating job of babysitting the infamous prince? Seventh novice, the scapegoat of the entire sea society. No sea shifter wants to be stuck on land, least of all with a man who's a disgrace to dragons everywhere, but Seven's got no choice but to grit her teeth and take the assignment. If she can protect the prince, she'll finally prove she's worthy to become a knight of Atlantis despite her tainted blood. 
Of course, that would be a lot easier if the infuriating man didn't keep running away from her. And if he wasn't her fated mate. It's not that Joe doesn't want this honorable, uncompromising woman who makes his inner sea dragon roar. By the sea, it's all he can do to keep his hands off her. But he has no choice but to play the clown in hope of driving her away. Because the man that everyone thinks is a frivolous playboy has a secret. He can see the future. And if he claims his mate, she's going to die. That was a really long description. It was so <laughs> it was long. really fucking long. I need to drink some water. Jesus. This episode sponsored by Hydroflask. <laughs> I wish. <Right>. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, God. It's the Hydroflask, right? <laughs> We're all Visco girls on this Visco. podcast. Okay. <laughs> what the fuck year was that? 2019. Ew. It seems like so long ago. Yeah, I remember that because Susan was like, I like it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the pandemic has aged me a decade and I would never have guessed. Oh, wait, it's and I oop and I oop. That was a thing. Yeah. And oh, I oop. I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> anyway. Can I just say? Yeah. I'm obsessed with Joe and Joe is me. Just an absolute himbo who acts goofy and dumb and is not so secretly super emotional and cares so much and is a huge fucking simp. But like, I just, Joe, he's my favorite of all of them. I think he's funny. He's entertaining. He's deep. He chugs that respect women juice. Oh my God. I'm like actually in love with him. I mean, the parts that were steamy were also dreamy. I'm like, oh, I don't think any other male lead has like made me feel this way or I'm like oh everything about you is just like hidden in like every single possible way so anyway I'm in love uh Joe call me seven also call me seven yeah sexy <laughs> strong noble precious I love that she wastes no time in calling Joe the fuck out even with their power differential but yeah let's let's fucking go let's fucking go let's fucking so go let's just let's just get right into it so we start our story in City of Dreams, the Big Apple, Las Vegas. <laughs> ah, yes, the Windy City. The Windy City, <laughs> Las Vegas. And we find our dear, wonderful, beautiful Joe at a strip club. Shirking his firefighter duties. Yeah. Later we'll be sharking his firefighter duties. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. I, I'm going to be dropping a lot of puns this episode. So listeners, keep a tally and let me know. <laughs> my dear listeners, uh, I am so sad to announce that this is going to be my last episode. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to drive me to madness. You're, so you're saying I'm skating on thin ice. <laughs> I'm going to leave. <laughs> Goodbye. So I was really surprised with this opening in a way because... You know, at the end of the last book, we got a vision of Weiston and Candace's wedding and him meeting his mate there. And I was like, why aren't we at this wedding? Please give me the unicorn wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Oak's always dreamed of a unicorn wedding. Yeah, it's true. V better watch out. It did clear itself up relatively quickly because it turns out that Joe has been desperately trying to avoid meeting his mate. So he's dodging that wedding specifically to try and not meet her. Do we want to say why? I mean, we said we heard him back the book because she'll die. He has this repeated dream where he's like in chains and then his mate steps in front of him as a demon just absolutely blasts him, I think. Something like that or like yeah. lunches at him, something. 
something that would kill him, but kills her mm-hmm. instead. Yeah. Uh, and something very interesting that he mentions like early on in this book is that he doesn't just have these visions. Like he doesn't just see them. He lives through them. And that sounds fucking horrible. For real. Could you imagine? And this particular vision, like all the time, I found it really, I mean, do we want to like get into this right away? Yeah, fuck it. Fuck it, we ball. I found it really fucking dreamy that Joe has been dreaming, literally dreaming, literally dreamy. He's been having this vision like all the time since he was like 14, knowing this is like his future mate and that she will die trying to protect him. And he is partly like fucked up his reputation and like gone all over the fucking place trying to make this vision not happen. Right. He mentions later that he has seen many different ways that she dies in that same scenario, but she still always dies. Like he keeps trying to change it, but he keeps changing it incorrectly. And he's living with this by himself. Like it's nobody else knows about it, including his freaking parents and he's just like dealing with this and his squad mates don't know you might say it's a secret mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh my god i've decided to cope by ignoring Jesus it Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> sorry buckle up we <laughs> rip all my hair out by the end of this episode <laughs> all right i'll stop squinting around Amazing. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm get a live use of my, my rim shot as sound effect. Oh, God. Yes! <laughs> God damn it. Anyway, so we start off in the bathroom of a strip club, I should say. And he's just staring into this toilet, <laughs> seeing these visions. And he knows that despite his best efforts, today is the day that he is going to meet his mate. And so he tries to create the most like repulsive circumstances (laughs) that she could possibly meet him under. He has, I think they say something about like a woman's phone number and lipstick on his shoulder or something. Which is gonna smear. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. No, she probably like sprayed it with the setting spray after she did it. (laughs) Right. This is Vegas. Everybody has that on hand, so... I do carry a setting spray on me at all times. So he just looks like a hot mess. Emphasis on hot. (laughs) Anyway, then we cut to Seven. Seven is a squire who her dream, her lifelong quest has been to become a knight of Atlantis. And so she and the actual knights as well as oh god, what's the lord's name? Lord Azure? Azure. Azure. Can we talk about him real quick? He's a fucking asshole. Yeah, he's a he's a big dickhead. He doesn't deserve a cool name. (laughs) Because Azure's kind of a cool name. It is kind of a cool name. Lord Blue. There you go. Lord Special Blue. Oh, Deep Blue. The hit chess computer. (laughs) Deep Blue C, the hit film from two (laughs) thousand. Yeah, two thousand nerd. Two thousand. I thought you would jump in there, Oak. You know all the obscure years. You were going through a tunnel, and it, you know you cut out. It happens. Ninety nine. <laughs> but yeah, seven. She's really like a fish out of water in Vegas. Oh, yeah, God. she really is. She really sticks out. <laughs> she really sticks out. Her and but at, Lord Azure sticks out even more. And everyone thinks that he's in costume and is trying to take selfies with him and things. 
he's like ready to chop some heads off. It's very that, that part's very funny because oh, yeah, these fucking weirdos are running around Vegas in full armor, like. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's Vegas, baby. It's Vegas. If you can so make it there, weird. you can make it anywhere. <laughs> so dress up in your cosplays, go around in your armor. It's fine. And so they they are looking for the prince. They've been unable to find him. They've been very unsuccessful. And then suddenly Seven gets this this sense that he's close by. And so she runs over in that direction and goes to a club that has a neon sign in the front with a rooster and a kitten, only for us to realize that the club is called Cock and Pussy. Mm -hmm. Which is honestly wonderful. Seven has to like pay a cover fee to get into this strip club. And I'll say for, I wouldn't expect a club called Cock and Pussy to like have quite so high a fee. It's Vegas though. I I actually Googled like what are the normal like, because I mean, imagine going to a club, you guys. Like imagine. The most I've ever paid for cover charge at a club was $40, I think. Oh my God. Yeah, I think in Vegas it says like 50 to 100. God. So that tracks the one I went to was in Boston. Imagine. I'll just flash my tits and get I mean, out. I love a good time. I would go to a club for free and I would leave at midnight. Mm-hmm. To be fair though, there were like people dancing on like hanging silks at this club. Mm. Pretty fucking That's baller. Pretty cool. That's all I remember. I was very drunk for the rest of that evening. Anyway. Can we back up just one second? Because I do have my first meanie highlight pretty early on. Ooh, yes. And it's when all of the... Fire crew is like angrily texting Joe because he's not back with them where they where he should be. He's like fucking off because you know he's trying to escape his fate and everything. And Blaze texts him, "You massive eggplant emoji." Wait a second, I just got it. <laughs> oh, there he goes. <laughs> she's saying, "You massive dick." <laughs> For some reason in my head. Anyway, she says, "You massive eggplant emoji." Get in touch or else fire emoji. In my head, I just immediately translated eggplant emoji in the horny way. And I was like, Blaze, that doesn't mean what you think it means. <laughs> but no, I'm just kind of, I'm just a himbo. <laughs> so much to talk about with, with Joe's phone, where his ringtone for his text messages is the first verse of Shake It Off. And he has it oh my on. God. Like, on, off. Oh Joe. Like a fucking boomer. <laughs> yeah. Love him so much. Okay, question for my fellow young people. Mm-hmm. When was the last time that you actually set your ringtone to a song because you thought you would actually hear it? 2014. <laughs> yeah, it seems right. Yeah, I want to say like maybe 2011. <laughs> yeah, I said I set mine to a song from Earthbound. I can't even remember what I set mine to, but I remember it being a thing, but I don't know anybody in the world at this point who still sets their ringtones to be a song or something. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that everyone just uses the default ringtone. Yeah. Let me see what mine is right now. (laughs) Everybody get out your ringtones. Yeah, it's like, and I don't even use that. My phone's always on vibrate because I'm a millennial. (laughs) Please do not speak to me. I do not wish to be perceived. My phone ringtone is called The Big Adventure. Oh, turn on ring volume. Okay. Turn on ring volume to hear it. Oh my God. I don't even know how to check my ringtone. Can you hear that? Oh, what's I think that that's called? what mine is too, because we both have Pixel. The Big Adventure. Oh, I also have a Pixel, and so mine's The Big Adventure too. <laughs> <laughs> nice, we're all Big Adventurers. Fuck, fuck Apple. Let's go. Google Pixel Squad. 
I was checking to see if like I had a specific one for you for you guys like because I feel like that's the only way I would but no <laughs> now you gotta change not, it because I never have the sound on <laughs> set ringtone <laughs> also I gotta remember to turn my sound off now because otherwise it's gonna go off and, and I'm gonna be like what the fuck was that <laughs> So the phone notifications are all very funny. I just want to, I do want to go through it. It is very funny. All of our Blorbos, who we love. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we, uh, all of our friends. They're our friends, friends of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, new message from <laughs> Rory. Where the hell are you? Seriously, last chance or you're off the squad. I can't string Buck out any longer. Missed call, Rory. Missed call, Rory. New message from Blaze. You massive eggplant emoji. Get in touch or else fire emoji. New message, Weiston. Please call. We just want to know you're all right. Missed call. Callum. Missed call. Rory. New message from mom. You leave me no choice. I've sent out the knights. They're coming to escort you back to the crew. For your father's sake, please don't make a scene. Plus 48 other notifications. (laughs) So Joe's ignoring all that. And that's right about when uh, Seven shows up at the club. Also, oh my god. At the end of this chapter, you guys, the very end... He's talking to um, one of the like hostesses. What? Who is Carol? She's the owner or the manager of the strip club. Okay, t- talking to the manager. There's a mysterious woman at the bar asking for him, and he's like blowing. He's like, ah, don't worry about it. And Carol's like, got a hot date? And Joe replies, yes. He pulled his sunglasses out of his pocket, slipping them over his eyes with destiny. And then, okay, I need you to edit in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got a hot date? Yes, with destiny. What a fucking <laughs> dork. Like the- <laughs> Seriously, he's a dweeb. He's such a dweeb. <laughs> like the the drama. I love it so much. He's my kindred spirit. So Seven shows up and she's like, I'm looking for someone. And Joe had already told Carol that he was expecting someone. And so she's like, all right. He's in the back. So she knocks on a door and Joe's just fucking chilling there and beckons her in. Then he charges her $50. He's like, if he's like, if you want to speak with me, you have to pay up. It's $50. Living the dream, TBH. And so she was like, okay. And it was because that bought her a little dance, a little strip tease. Which she was not expecting and is very horrified. Also, he has black hair with blue highlights. The cover oh, does yeah. not show what? these blue highlights. Oh, no. Can we go over? Yeah, he's described as about six foot eight, which fucking Jesus Christ, Yao Ming over here. I highlighted that because I was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> Dark brown skin, turquoise eyes, black hair with blue highlights. Honestly, he's he sounds so fucking hot. He really he's does. like seven feet tall. I'm gonna die. <laughs> Joe, please call me. Seriously. So they have this conversation and Seven is just so precious because she's trying so hard to like have the decorum of like she's deferring to her prince basically. And she, you know, he tells her before you report, there's something you need to do first. And she's like, I am sorry, my prince. I am unaccustomed to the honor of addressing a member of the royal family. If there is some aspect of formal etiquette, I have neglected. I sincerely apologize, which is sort of just like her character. And she's adorable. She's so good. Yeah, but then he makes her pay him for a a strip. (laughs) So we get steamy real early on here with this pole dance. I mean, the way they describe it just had me all like sweating. (laughs) He spiraled smoothly up the pole, barely seeming to touch it. 
He swam through thin air, body arching in a sinuous curve, legs swinging out behind him. His white t-shirt clung to his back like a second skin, revealing every flexing muscle. And she's just trying so hard to not straight up ogle him. (laughs) And at one point, she asks him to stop because she's freaking out because she's like, I'm so attracted. And he like kind of like basically falls off the pole on purpose and she she catches him. And of course, they're very horny about that. And she's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I thought you had slipped, fallen. And he's like, I have. Oh, like it was so corny, but also it really got me. I highlighted that as dreamy. <laughs> I highlighted it as Mimi. <laughs> so all I could picture while she's just sitting there and he's doing this pole dance is that meme with the horny grip. <laughs> Like she oh, yeah. Meme. <laughs> the thighs. Yeah. Yeah, that was me through like the yeah. second half of this book. It's for real Holy though. Shit, for real. <laughs> okay, so uh, this is another part I highlighted. He tells her, Seven, you don't want to be stuck here with me. Go back to Atlantis. It's for the best, I promise. So the reason he says that, we didn't mention this earlier, is that Seven has been assigned this quest to protect the prince. And she asked Lord Azure to assign her this quest because it will give her an opportunity to prove herself and earn her knighthood. And also nobody else wants this job. And so she's like, this is my only chance really to show what I'm capable of. So she's desperate to fulfill her quest. And so, but he says no. Meanwhile, he's just being a a giant man whore. But like this part I highlighted as dreamy. This really got me after he tells her to go back to Atlantis. His salt sea scent wrapped around her, rooting her to the spot. His hands closed on her shoulders. She found herself unable to move away, unable to even breathe as he bent to press a soft, chaste kiss to her forehead. Everything will be fine, he whispered. He released her, pushing her towards the door. Goodbye, Seven. Like, he's doing all of this to protect her. Mm -hmm. And at this point, like, obviously he knows that she's his mate, but she doesn't know that he's her mate. She just has this weird attraction pull to him but doesn't actually know. Yeah, because the like lore drop that we get is that mates are only like recognized when they make direct eye contact, which like Edith, you know, had, wow, a miracle. <laughs> so he's wearing the sunglasses specifically so that she will not see his eyes, even though he's going to see hers because he already knows that she's his mate. Right. He's trying to prevent her from finding that out. He tries so hard. And he successfully does at the at, at mm-hmm. first. And so she leaves. And she's like, oh, God damn it. And he's just, I mean, reeling over the fact that that is his mate. And then another dreamy highlight, again, very early on. When a sea dragon met his mate, he danced for her. In the cradling currents of the ocean, sinuous and strong, coils twining, scales caressing, every movement a seduction and a promise, he danced for her, started the mating ritual, offered her his heart. And she would never know. Joe, why did you do that to yourself? I love that. That pole dance. Was it just a pole dance? I'm going to throw myself off the roof. Like, that was just. That was amazing. Oh, so good. Oh, my God. Joe, dance for me. (laughs) Joe, I'm in love with you. Please call me. (laughs) He just is so good this entire book. He's so good. I'm so in love with him. And then also he has, like, a raging heart on because. (laughs) In his banana hammock. Banana hammock. Under his work attire, which I don't know if we specified, but he dresses as a firefighter at the strip club. Yeah. And apparently makes mad tips when he tells people that he's an actual or he was an actual firefighter in real life. And so he also uses that as a kind of a loophole. So his parents would only allow him on land under one condition, and that be that he be a part of this firefighting crew. 
Uh, otherwise, they would drag him back to Atlantis and force him to actually act like a prince. And so he said, well, you know, I was told I needed to be a firefighter, and that was about it. Which pisses Seven off. That is actually a recurring part of his character that I really I really love, because he has his own moral code, and he doesn't actually lie. Yeah. He tells great white lies, if you will. Oh, my God. <sighs> <laughs> All right. But anyway, I love that about him. He's got his own little moral code and he really doesn't. Like he'll he'll answer in a way that like gives a different answer than they're asking for and it's still not a lie, but it's not giving something away. Very politician. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> make a great prince. So Carol comes in, the the manager of this place, and she's like, Hey, that lady who, you know, I mentioned before who was like waiting for you, but you kind of like brushed her off she really is insisting on seeing you do you want me to bounce her and he's like no whatever send her in and this woman she has some sort of like scarf over her head and she just has kind of a very shady and creepy vibe she comes in she wants to touch him he's like no that's against club rules sorry she keeps insisting and he's like no uh actually you can go ask the club for your money back and she says, no, you're the one I need, Prince. And he says, wait, why did you call me? The woman laughed, cold and triumphant. Oh, I know exactly who you are, Prince of Atlantis. And then he gets a, a flashback from his, like, visions. Premonitions. Yes. A laugh rings out from the shadows, cold and triumphant. He knew that laugh, knew her, from his vision, his oldest vision, his nightmare. In that split second of frozen horror, the woman's manicured nails bit into his arm like claws, she whirled on him, teeth bared in some feral snar. Wait, teeth bared in a feral snar. Snarl. Fuck. She whirled <laughs> on him. <laughs> teeth bared in a feral snarf. <laughs> in a feral snarl. Light flashed from something in her free hand. She plunged a syringe into his neck and the world dissolved into darkness. I gotta say, this book has a lot of good writing in it, like a lot of good descriptions. It really does. That was it. Really does. Yeah, I mean, that was something that I noticed. Yeah, the writing in this book. I mean, I enjoyed the other two books, of course, but something about the writing in this one in particular just really did stick out. Going from the like two paragraph vague sex scene in in Wildfire Unicorn to like the ten pages of of explicit. Let's wait. Let's hang on. I know, sorry. I know. I just want to say that's how you can tell this was written by a different Zoe. Because, um, damn. But yeah, the writing throughout is really good. I can't believe they found so many people with the same name. Yeah. So, like, the <laughs> Are they a system? <laughs> so Seven went to leave, but then she says, you know what? I'm not fucking leaving. But then she also senses that something has happened. And she goes running back only to see this woman fucking carrying this big ass man on her shoulders. Also, one of the paragraphs before this, she's basically like, oh, fuck the prince. Fuck this quest. She would earn her blade cleaning the royal toilets if she had to. Um, They got toilets in Atlantis? You're in the ocean. Lots of questions. <laughs> Just go outside. <laughs> or don't. <laughs> Do you pee in your front yard? I, I live in a condo. <laughs> so yes. <laughs> I mean, I guess good point, but... Would you expect royalty to shit on their... <laughs> coral front lawns i expect royalty to do that more than anyone else 
They don't have to clean it up. Honestly, yeah. You think somebody comes along with one of those little green nets and kind of scoops them out? Cleans <laughs> <laughs> out their tank. Oh no. <laughs> oh, maybe it's just like a giant fish tank. Maybe they have filters and stuff. <laughs> They never really do fully describe Atlantis. I, I think it being a giant fish tank is good. Well, no, but Stefan does say, like, there's parts of it that are air. That, that, that's mm-hmm. where she spends most of her time. She's not, like, she doesn't shift yeah. very much. I want to know more about Atlantis. <laughs> you got to read Firefighter Sea Dragon, if that exists, to get the lore, I guess. I mean, it does, because Joe's so. fucking parents are in this. Right, right, right. By the way, have we said Seven's name? No. Because we've just said Seven, but Seven is her name and her title. She's the seventh novice of, like, the Knights of Atlantis or something like that. Knights of the First Water, that's what it is. So yeah, Seven uh, gets this feeling, as you described, that, like, that, like, Joe specifically is in danger. She, like, runs back into the club and sees this woman carrying Joe out of a fire exit. Again, this is a hulking six foot eight man. <laughs> she's just got him like slung on her shoulders, which. Yeah. Well, he's like drugged, so he's like kind of going along with her. I guess he's kind of roofied in a way, I guess. But I don't know. That's that's not. They don't go to the details of the serum. Even so, I mean, that's like, that's just dead yeah. weight. I don't think he can do much. And so I'm like, okay, Lupa, damn. I see you. <laughs> Lupa works out. <laughs> Lupa, call me. Anyway, Lupa's dragging Joe outside toward a black SUV, whereas a man is waiting for her there. And he's like, come on, Lupa, hurry up. And Seven is just very sexy in this scene, as in every, every scene she is. Yeah, she she rushes out the door after them, and she has a stun sword, which she uses some magic on this, like, basically coral sword to incapacitate people. And these, like, huge dogs attack her. She manages to, like, fend them off, like, on reflex at first, and then actively fending them off. And she manages to scare Lupa into dropping Joe and, like, leaving him there because she feigns that she's calling for backup when really nobody can hear her right now. And the guy in the SUV is like, It's too late, Lupa. The man revved the SUV's engine, his tense voice rising. Please, we don't need him. We still have plan B. For your father's sake, come on. Which, like, ooh, lore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she gives a very, very sexy little speech where she gets to her feet and puts Joe behind her. And she's like, I am the seventh novice of the Order of the First Water. She shouted at the ring of burning eyes, hoping that Lord Azure would hear her. I am honor sworn to defend the Pearl Empire and I shall protect the Crown Prince of Atlantis with my life. Face me if you dare. And I'm like, ooh, girl. Oh, I just love that this book flips the narrative on its head of like, instead of like the man protecting, like assigned to protect the woman or whatever, like she's, she's his fucking bodyguard. Like she's the strong buff one that was like protecting him and keeping him safe. I'm so horny for it. <laughs> now, I have never watched The Bodyguard starring Whitney Houston and Kevin Cost. I'm gonna Google it. Yes, Kevin Costner. So I've never watched it, but I can only assume it's like this, but also plus singing. (laughs) Yeah, no, very hot. The way she, I mean, she's so freaking noble, and that usually annoys me, but she, I I just like women. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, mood. Mood. (laughs) 
she doesn't do it in an annoying way. Like she's still like, she's very protocol, but she'll break out of protocol. So they drop Joe and his sunglasses just go off somewhere. And he's just like squeezing his eyes shut. And she's like, oh my God, are you okay? Like, did they hit you? You could have a concussion or is that why your eyes are sensitive or something? So she says, my prince, Joe, I need you to look at me. Look at me, Joe. His eyes opened at last. Seven had only been intending to check whether his pupils were even, but instead she found herself dropping into endless blue. The warm turquoise of tropical seas surrounded her. She floated, weightless. She could swim forever in his eyes. And then a part that I had highlighted as dreamy, and a part of her that had always been silent said, mine. Mm -hmm. I'm going to punch my computer screen. (laughs) We get so much of that in this book. Oh, it's so good. What I really like about this is that we get this whole other level of mutual pining because she knows. She's a shifter. Yeah, because Mm -hmm. she's a shifter. She knows about the whole mate thing. I like how they've managed to shake that up over the three books that we've read so far, where first book is Human Shifter, And the entire book, they're hiding that from her basically right up until they can't anymore. And then second book, they basically tell Candace right away because it's like relevant to her danger at that moment, something like that. And then this one, they don't even have to go there at all because she's already a shifter. Mm -hmm. I love it. It's great. Yeah, they keep it fresh every time. I do love it. I do want to continue off where I left off. I didn't highlight this part, but I should have. Mm -hmm. So... And a part of her that had always been silent said, mine, yes, he whispered as though he too had heard that internal voice. And then much louder, no, and he shoves her away. Shoves her away and tries running away, except he's still drugged, so he doesn't do very well. But he's still moving away. Also, (laughs) this like inner voice that said mine before is now like mine, because she takes Chase after him. Human reason dropped away, leaving only pure, simple purpose. He was hers, hers alone, and he was getting away. (laughs) Her stun sword was still in hand. Without thought, Seven lunged. Even with predatory instincts roaring through her blood, some conflicting urge made her pull the blow. The blunt point barely kissed the back of his neck, delivering the mildest possible charge. He went down like a cut tree. I love that she has the, like, cave woman bang him over the head. He's running away. Reflect, reflex. And then her boss sees that she has tasered the crown prince of Atlantis. <laughs> and she, he's like, what the fuck did you just do? We touched on Lord Azure being a dickwad earlier on. But I mean, this man refused to wear civvies, I guess, to yeah. walk around Vegas. Because he was like, no, like these fucking land dwellers don't mean shit to me. I'm going to go around in my armor. And it's like, cool, dude, you look like a fucking freak. He's fish racist. Oh my god, he yeah. He sucks. Want to drop kick him? <laughs> really does just suck. And something else that pains me is that like they mentioned that Seven is like paying things like the cover charge and Joe's fee for his his pole dance out of like her own money yeah. because like Atlantis doesn't understand how money works, which like isn't true. <laughs> Because, like, they know, but, like, no one gave her a fucking stipend on this trip, so she just has to, like, her go under a bank account and pull out some fucking cash. I'm just like, that hurts me in my soul. I'm so sorry. At least she has cash on her. I don't think I've ever carried that much cash on me. Yeah. <laughs> She's all, do you take Venmo? <laughs> yeah. She might carry a credit card. <laughs> Sigh. 
while Joe's passed out, he has another vision. And so it's his team in some place called Blue Brook fighting a fire. And he overhears them talking about how, oh man, too bad Joe's not here. And then they get ambushed. By Lupa, the woman who kidnapped him. But then he wakes up. He's in a room surrounded by knights. And his dad shows up too. Which another thing I like about this, talking about kind of switching up dynamics, is that his dad isn't the one with royal blood here. It's his mother. His mother's the empress. And his dad is just something like the, the champion or something. Just some guy. Imperial champion, something like that. So yeah. just a very, very high-ranking knight who also is, just happens to be married to the Empress of the Sea. Just so happens. Just so happens. And and everyone who read the Firefighter uh, series before this is like, yeah, that's my Blorbo, he's back. Yeah. And we're like, oh, I guess this is Joe's dad. <laughs> Daddy. <laughs> just based on the way he's described, I'm like, he's... And Joe being hot, too. His mom, when she gets described, I was like, Mommy? Sorry, Mommy. (laughs) Zoe takes every chance to make sure that we know the Empress of Atlantis is a MILF. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely stacked. (laughs) Booty banging. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for your service, Zoe Chant. I do love a MILF. Yeah, but anyway, mom's not here right now. Dad's here, and he's basically telling Joe, like, it's not safe for you here, clearly, because you're getting attacked, so you got to go back to Atlantis. And Joe's like, no, now i got to go. Was it Montana? Yeah, Montana. Yeah. i got to go to Montana right now. And everyone's like, the fuck, Joe? You've been, like, avoiding it. Because he knows if he doesn't go, then that vision will become true. So the only way to prevent that from happening is to be there. I love him so much. Like everything he does is just to protect the people he loves. And it's like, he he's, oh, he's just so good. I love him so much. Yeah, he loves everyone around him. He literally changed the whole trajectory of his life just to do things that would protect Seven. Yeah. Because I mean, how old is he? Do they mention how old they are? They gotta be like early 20s, mid 20s. Early 20s. I was thinking early 30s. I was thinking like just 30. I'm looking this I guess up. Try and go- yeah, try and Google that. Because like, I just I just assumed, sorry, I just assumed because romance novels always seem to skew younger, except for a couple of the ones y'all have read. Come on, Zoe Chant's website. Dude, ZoeChant.com. Please waste everyone in the entire world on ZoeChant.com right now. Oh my god, site can't reach. It took too long to respond. Whatever, they're 30. Fuck you. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, great. Whatever. Sure. I'm honestly just going off of the cover images. Like, these do not look like people in their early 20s. Yeah. They have, like, careers. Yeah. Fair enough. I'm gonna say 30. Just 30 even. Yeah. I think that's a better age range to be, personally. It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm turning 33 in December. Yeah, fuck 20-year-olds. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Especially 28-year-olds. Hey. (laughs) 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 But, like, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So, anyway, the reason I was bringing up age is because, I mean, assuming he is 30 and he's been having these visions since he was 14 that's 16 years that's more than half of his life that he has been working towards preventing this from happening half his life that he has loved this woman oh i'm gonna throw up without even knowing her literally gonna vomit and another thing they mentioned later on is that he always went out of his way to not learn more about her yeah 
Mm-hmm. And just, ah, uh, I'm in love with him anyway. <laughs> and that's also why he had a lot of one night sands. Uh, <laughs> in order, because he was like, I gotta, I gotta keep it very shallow. I gotta make everyone think I'm just like super boring and shallow and just slutty. And that way my super noble, hot future girlfriend will reject me. Mm-hmm. Oh, and so he notices that seven isn't anywhere in this room full of knights and so he's like where the fuck is she and she's like she's being held in a different hotel room because she assaulted (laughs) someone of royalty so they had to kind of separate her and they also stripped her of like i I forgot how it works i think they're called tokens and they braid them into their hair they totally stripped her of all of her honor tokens because she's been she's being shamed so she senses Joe coming and he bursts through the door, lunges for her and grabs her by the shoulders. Seven, are you all right? I swear if anyone so much has touched you. Oh, see, I'm so sorry. This is all my fault. As he spoke, his fingers ran over her arms, her shoulders, her neck, as though trying to convince himself that she was really there. Any lingering doubt she had that she really was his mate was wiped away by the tsunami of heat that swept through her at the contact. The very concept of language vanished from her mind. Ugh. I highlighted that. I freaking loved that line. Mm-hmm. The very yeah. concept of language vanished from her mind. It's really good. So good. I hate to I hate to interrupt the narrative here, but can we take the time now to talk about the fish swearing? Oh my god. The the <laughs> fakey Atlantean swearing. Where it's like, oh see. Oh, for the love of sweet little fishes. Yeah, sweet little fishes. Uh, it's so... Yeah, it's a lot. It's fun, but it's also a little cringe to, like, have a sex scene and have them be like, oh, see. Yeah. It reminds me of my, uh, my, my girlfriend when I was 14 who would be like, oh, gods. Which, like, there's nothing wrong with that. I just have a cringe association with it. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Nicole, what did you think of the fish swearing? I, like, try to look fast. I'm like, I just ignored it. I was like, okay. He does do the dirty talk too. He does, but you know, it was, I didn't even register it because it was just so fucking hot that I was like, I don't even care. Like, whatever. Blah, blah, bitch. Like, hell yeah. (laughs) 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 Anyway, he demands that they reinstate her honor tokens and Lord Asher's like, oh, it is high treason. Joe's like, she hit me, not the entire concept of hereditary imperialistic monarchy, which also deserves to be smacked over the head, but I digress, which like, okay, feminist. Okay. (laughs) He just fucking hates the whole monarchy bullshit. He's like, yo, Mm -hmm. fuck this. I never asked for this. I'm just fucking, I just want a vibe. I never asked for this. That's why he's a firefighter. Yeah. Um, so it is very clear. They both know that they're mates. They know that the other person knows that they're mates. Yeah, the jig is up like right away, like 22% oh, yeah. of the way through the book. And so he says, Seven, think for a moment. You know only too well the sort of person I am. Can you see any future in which this works out? I mean, he is saying these things because one, he's cultivated this kind of like persona and reputation that he sucks. And also he's trying to kind of push her away because he doesn't want to put her in danger. But she then thinks about 
oh my God, you're right, because that would mean that if we were to be mated and get married and stuff, like I would become royalty and like I would have babies who would also be royalty and it's just a lot. And this is a little thing that I had down as dreamy. So to that, she responds, I understand my prince. Nonetheless, I swore a vow to protect you. I cannot break that. I would lose my only chance at knighthood. More than that, I would lose my honor. And that means everything to you, he said softly. It's all I've ever had, all I've ever wanted. She hesitated, then plunged on before she could lose her nerve. Until now. Ugh! Okay. It's real good. And then they do the thing at the end where he's just like, but just promise not to fall in love with me. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm like, yes, give me the trope. <laughs> He says, you'll come with me as my bodyguard, but you have to promise me something. And she says, anything. I am yours to command, my prince. He met her eyes again, and this time his own were cold and hard as Arctic ice. You will only be my bodyguard, he said, ever. You can tag along. Just promise not to fall in love with me. (laughs) Too late, bitch. Of course, like, you know, she's like, I'm, she's basically like, shark shifters are looked down upon. Sea dragons are the cool ones. Shark shifters are like, ooh, everyone's discriminating against me. So I have to really prove myself. And so like, she sort of is translating this as like, oh, he doesn't want me because I'm a shark shifter and I'm below him and I'll never be fit enough to be on the throne, which of course, like, he doesn't give a fuck about, but she's got a lot of internalized shame to work through. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they go to Montana. They take a private helicopter all the way to Montana. So they show up in style and also late. And then we get to see all of our friends again. Our the friends. Blorbos. Yay. Our Blorbos. Blorbos I know what that means. <laughs> Edith continues to be my favorite. Yeah. Edith is so fucking cute. She's so cute. She's so cute. When, when they show up and see everybody, um, Edith, of course, my sweet autistic queen is like, isn't it obvious? She's Joe's mate. And Joe and Sound are like, uh, 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 and everyone else is like, uh, hang on. Shh, 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 shh. <laughs> and I just love it. I also will say, I, uh, I hope somebody apologized to Edith later because Edith immediately called it. And then Joe was like, you know, lying by omission where he's like, why would I bring my mate here? You know, making Edith think that she's fucking crazy. Gaslight gatekeeper boss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to contrast everyone else's smiles, Edith was looking anxious. Her hands jerked in a nervous fluttering gesture. Seven, I'm sorry that I assumed that you were Joe's mate. I didn't mean to offend you. She hadn't been offended at all. Quite the opposite. Just for a moment, she'd felt enfolded and included, welcomed. It felt nice. No apology is necessary. Her voice sounded stiff and awkward, even to herself. It was an understandable conclusion. Also, I, I'm not Claudia, but I gotta step into the corner when I say, like, I was gonna say, once again, Claudia's once again. Corner. We have another love interest who's autistic coded. Like, Evan is, is so fish autistic. And I love that. Like, her and Edith are going to be best friends. Yeah. Like, you could tell. They bond a lot. Yeah. They bond. Really quick. Also, when Seven's getting introduced to everybody, Edith asks, how did you meet Joe? Was it romantic? And, you know, Seven's very overwhelmed by everything, which, like, again, overwhelmed. Without meaning to, she blurted out, I hit him over the head, which... Blaze immediately responds, I like you. And I just love that. <laughs> and then they also bring up the wedding. And so Joe apologizes to Weiston for missing his wedding. And Weiston says, I know you would have come if you could. 
And it's like Joe has sacrificed so much just to protect people. And I'm literally going to throw up. I mean, they were raised together. They're more family than just friends and co-workers. And so for him to miss essentially his brother's wedding just because he thought it would protect Seven is just... Joe, you give so much. Yeah. When's it going to be Joe time? Joe time's all the time. Joe, please call me. (laughs) I also love that Seven really immediately sees that among his friends, Joe really, again, with the gal in the found family, like pinch fingers, mm, so good, delicious. But uh, among his friends, like Joe, his shoulders had relaxed at last. His, His grin flashed like the sun breaking out from clouds, dazzling and unguarded. For all that he was clowning around now, pretending to cower in fear from Blaze's wrath, she had the oddest certainty that she was finally seeing him, not a role he was playing. And like... That got me real deep. Mm-hmm. That got, in like the queer family kind of way. Like the like the non-masking, you know, like he's able to just drop it all and like he's with his family and it's I'm I'm gonna actually cry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't cry. I love him. I love them. I love them. And the way he formally introduces Seven to everybody, it is my honor to introduce seventh novice of the Order of the First Water, Squire to Lord Azure. Oath sworn guardian of the sea's heart. Hello? Yeah. To which Buck says, Are you mother loving kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) Also, Buck loves her. Can we talk about how Buck loves her? Because he's like, finally, someone who has decorum and like listens and like, you know, has fucking respect. Yeah, (laughs) that's just it. It's just respect. (laughs) Buck was just waiting for another military person to show up because we learn in this book that Buck was in the Marines. We get a lot of buck backstory here yeah we we get a buck lore dump halfway through the book tragic backstory yes can't wait to get to that part yeah we'll get there first of all i do have to address the fish racism in the room go ahead buck says by the time i got through your tongue twister out in the field we'd all be burned to a crisp you got a nickname oh you got an english name oh Wow. <laughs> oh no that would be a lot to say when you're like yelling at someone to help you put out a fire i'm just saying what you can't while while there's a huge fire you can't say seventh novice of the order of the first water squire to lord azure or sworn guardian of the sea's heart please hand me that mcleod <laughs> watch out <laughs> <laughs> duck <laughs> no you're absolutely right we're all wrong thank you that's all i want to hear all the time forever <laughs> so buck says something about needing another dragon and giving her a crash course in firefighting and she says i'm not a sea dragon which joe didn't know either yeah, yeah. and so joe stared at her what what buck repeated in a far flatter tone she hated to even think the word but now she had no choice but to say it She took a deep breath, stealing herself. I am a shark. And so Buck's like, do you know how many fucking miles we are from like water? (laughs) (laughs) Shark's going to be real useful when fighting fires. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Can we talk about how one of Joe's first reactions to this is he'd known she was extraordinary. He just hadn't appreciated how extraordinary, which I marked as dreamy. I'm in love with him. Because Atlantis is fish racist against sharks. (laughs) They're, you know, they're seen as bloodthirsty killers or whatever. 
the dragons uh, rule all. So the fact that she is even like an apprentice knight or a squire or whatever, it's extraordinary. She has to be 10 times better than anyone else who is a squire has to be. So he's just so proud of her and in awe. And I fucking love that about him. (laughs) Meanwhile, she's so ashamed of it. Yeah, she really hates that she's a shark. Yeah. Same thing with Edith in the first book, who was so ashamed of her autism. Yeah. You know, and autism is really like a shark. <laughs> you think about it. Shot, shot, no, no. It, it's on a different scale. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. What's next, Nicole? Oh, so this is where they talk about the attempted kidnapping of Joe. Mm-hmm. And so he brings up the fact that demonic possession takes place very quickly, as we've seen in the last books, where they would just bite their target and then it's almost like instantaneous. But they didn't do that with him. For some reason, they drugged him and then wanted to take him away somewhere. You know, I mean, he plays it off like he doesn't actually know, but he does know because of his visions. The reason they want to take him away is to be a sacrifice. And I don't know if they bring it up here or later on, but I think it's worth mentioning that he is a target because one, he's a fucking sea dragon and two, he's royalty. So other targets here are Blaze because she's something they say that she represents another element yes they have a big discussion about the demons and like why they would want a sacrifice and i just i'm sorry i'm back on edith i'm on edith stan o'clock because they're talking about how the demons pop out of the ground because blaze says they're like evil mushrooms Joe says, but even mushrooms don't come from nowhere. They don't grow without the right sort of conditions. The seeds need fertilizer and water, right? And Edith's like, mushrooms come from spores. And I'm like, I'm obsessed with you. (laughs) Joe fought an urge to bury his head in his hands and scream. Can we please forget the fungi? (laughs) (laughs) No, we can't. It has to be correct. Edith is, and I very much empathize with this. Do you know that meme where it's like the, the superhero sweating over like which button to press? (laughs) I've seen a version of that where it's like, (laughs) enjoy the joke, answer the question. (laughs) It's like, yeah, that's, that's it. I just love her forever. Anytime she's autistic, I'm just like, you're an angel. (laughs) And then like, we don't have to get too into this, but it's mentioned here that Joe had a hand in Rory and Edith meeting. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he apparently he got this vision of them meeting. And he spent like, weeks googling locations to try and figure out where the hell this happens and he just so happens to make sure that they are like wandering through the area at that specific time to rescue edith which like what a cool throwback Mm -hmm. right i thought that was very fun and also good looks wingman joe I want to see if there's anything in the dialogue in in that first scene that maybe, maybe alludes to it. I think I'm hoping for too much, but I do want to look (laughs) real quick. I do. I only remember them being like, oh, there's a crew in the area miraculously. Yeah, but they had a they had a scene like right at the beginning where like they're looking at it and they're like, oh, I'm going to make that guy eat his radio. Joe slumped down in his seat. We're not even meant to be on the clock yet. This was supposed to be our last farewell to freedom before we spend an entire summer choking on our own sweat. So Joe Hmm. leads them all there and still complains. (laughs) Men. (laughs) Joe is like 5D chess orchestrating this. And he's still like, ah, fuck this shit. 
<laughs> it's like, listen, Incredible. if you're going to meet your mate, the love of your life, at least do it on company time. <laughs> yeah. Joe is really like, on God, we're going to get you some pussy, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so Fenrir calls Seven Deep Bitch, which is yep. uh-huh. a cool name. It doesn't roll off the tongue quite as easily as Stone no. Bitch. I don't like it. What was, what was Candace's? She was also Bitch. Um, was she bitch? Yeah, she was bitch. Oh, they're all bitch. Yeah. Except for his mate. Can I give a spoiler? Small no. Spoiler. No. Shh. Damn it. Son bitch. Son bitch. Aw. Because, uh... Also scarred. Yeah. <laughs> Fire. I think, uh... <laughs> I think that's kind of a meaner nickname. But I guess the idea yeah. is that she, like, thaws him... She thaws Ice Horse out. But anyway, we're getting yeah. two in the weeds I- here. I love Fenrir. I don't like the I don't like the bitch nicknames. I love Fenrir, but I don't I I don't care for them. I fucks with the bitch nicknames. Stone bitch is the best one. Stone bitch is a good one. That's that just sounds fucking badass. Stone bitch is good. All the rest. Deep bitch. Deep yeah. bitch does it just doesn't flow. Like yeah. I'm using my facial muscles too much to say it. Too many plosives. Yeah. Anyway. Seven decides she needs the other room in Joe and Joe and Callum share a cabin. And she's like, excuse me, Callum, I'm so sorry. I need your room because I have to, to protect the prince. And Joe's like, no, 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 no. And Callum gives her some earplugs. And it's yeah. not because he snores. It's because he fucking screams. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Imagine Callum like bunking with Joe the first night. Because like... No, I guess, okay, so, like, hang on, I gotta, like, jump into my continuity brain here, because in Wildfire Griffin, Rory and Callum were bunking together, so I guess Edith took that slot. So then Callum moved in with Joe, and now, once again, Callum is being kicked out of his room (laughs) so that his roommate can get his bone on. (laughs) Why did he have the earplugs ready to go? Like, Callum can't see the future. Callum is very sensory-oriented, so he probably just kind of has them just in case. All his friends are very loud. Callum, like, more autistic than all of them, TBH. Also, I just think it's very funny that you have loud, boisterous Joe and then, like, very quiet Callum (laughs) (laughs) in just one fucking dorm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so he fucking screams in his sleep because he has a whole bunch of fucking nightmares. Sorry, about the screaming again and Callum. Do you think, because Callum has, like, these these senses where he can, like, essentially feel where everyone is at all times in a nearby location to him, do you think that he knew already going into bunking with Joe that he screams all night? He had to have known. Who, who was rooming with Joe before? Maybe he was rooming alone because he screams. Mm. Then they ran out of dorms because everyone started shacking up. And yeah, everyone's fucking now. Dorms. Yeah. They're like shitty little rental cabins. They're like Girl Scout camp cabins, so I picture. Mm-hmm. They're just like a fucking camp. <laughs> I just say dorms because it's more fun. And also because that was the first word that came to mind, so I'm sticking with it. <laughs> so anyway, she hears him screaming in the middle of the night and busts in ready to fucking murder somebody and he's like screaming in his sleep like seven seven no run so he's having a nightmare about her so she wakes him up and he says you're here you're safe i'm fine i'm right here everything's fine you were just having a nightmare oh like i highlighted this part because it just like really got my heart i saw you die his fingers ran through her hair tangling in her braids i always see you die 
Oh, see, I thought you were dead. Seven. His hand tightened on the back of her neck. He pulled her down to his hungry, desperate mouth. Everything else vanished. He kissed her like he needed to devour her, like he needed to verify with every sense that she was really there. It was like the first time she'd ever stepped into the ocean. Her lips, her body, her entire soul opened to him, coming home to a place she'd never been before. Yes. Yes, this is what I was missing. And then I have the following paragraph highlighted as fucking steamy. Yeah, they start they start grinding after that. He makes a, a low, feral sound into her mouth, back arcing. His strong arms enfolded her like the waves pulling her against him. She straddled him, only a few thin layers of cloth separating his body from hers. She could feel the hard planes of his chest, tight buds of his nipples, the ridges. It goes on. I think I have literally a page and a half highlighted. Because damn. <laughs> oh, and so her like teeth come out and she bites him. <gasps> And she's, like, so ashamed. And he's like, nah, I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he, like, sees this, like, flash of her shark teeth. And she, like, covers her mouth to, like, hide them. She bites his tongue. She bites his tongue, which, ouch. Joe says that she's the only shark shifter he's ever met who can pass for human, essentially. Because all other shark shifters have shark teeth always. Oh, oh, okay. I have a whole thing to talk about here. So one of the things that I love about their relationship is that they actually fucking communicate. Yes. Actually. So really early on, they're clearing up the misconceptions and literally, because she's like, I don't know. um, If you didn't know I was a shark, why did you say we couldn't have a future together? And, and he's like, because you're honorable and noble and perfect and everything I'm not. You seriously thought I was talking about politics? And so we get that out of the way right away, that, that he has a problem with her being a shark shifter. And I fucking love that because I feel like in other books it would have been dragged out that it was like, oh, he doesn't like that I'm a shark. I'm ashamed for like the entire book. But no, no, he's like, no, you're fucking amazing. And I'm in love with you. Um, but like, you're better than me, honestly. And they fucking talk about it. And they consistently communicate throughout the book. And he consistently apologizes when he gets things wrong. And I'm, the bar is so low. <laughs> <laughs> the bar is so fucking low, but I'm, I'm absolutely obsessed with him. So I just love that, like, we got that the fuck out of the way. And even that there's like a moment right after that and like, stop me if I'm going too far ahead. But like, she's like, oh, okay. It's not that he, I'm a shark. It's that it's me. He doesn't want. And even that they get like, cause she gets offended and like shuts down and he's like, no, hang on a second. Like, let's talk about what's going on. And I'm like, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> She says, you don't want me. You are my mate, and I am such a monster that even you don't want me. He stared at her. She was pale and furious and shaking and so beautiful that she took his breath away. And she thought he didn't want her? What? He managed to croak out at last? It doesn't matter, she said quietly. I understand I am not, not desirable. Sweet little fishes, are you serious? Seven, you do realize that I'm having a hard time talking right now because very little of my blood is making it to my brain, right? You are the most gorgeous woman I've ever seen. And trust me, that is not a short list. Yeah. He doesn't just let her run off when she has that misconception, which she tries to. She shuts down and tries to leave. And he's like, no, hang on. And he actually says, Seven, I'm sorry. Please talk to me. I don't understand why you're so upset. What man (laughs) has ever? For Uh, real, though. God, the bar really is so low. Jesus Christ. It's like basic human decency. I need a drink. (laughs) Yeah, fuck men. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. You're not a man. You're a guy. Yeah, exactly. Same. <laughs> As Miss White once said, 
You don't have to worry about it, honey. Fuck men. <laughs> no one's gonna understand that reference, but you. Hopefully, you know, you never know. Miss White might be listening to our podcast. We follow her on Twitter. She does not have a lot of followers, but Claudia follows her and likes a lot of her stuff. You never know. She might be aware. Oh, um, I do have a dreamy highlight right after this. I just love this part, you guys. I really love their relationship. Like, it's definitely my favorite out of all the relationships. I'll say it. Their communication is so good. They actually, like, get each other. And But a lot of these books, like, the woman, like, the, the love interest, like, gets pissed and hurt. And, like, there's just misconception for a long time. And he's a big, the man, like, he's a big dumb idiot about it, basically. But, like, they don't stand for that. Like, I just really ship them. Yeah. And there's this moment where she, like is really just like, she's understanding what's going on with him. She asks, is that how you sweet talk so many women into bed? Lie to them? And he's like, no, I never lie. She started to shape an angry retort and stopped a peculiar expression crossing her face. She looked at him as though she'd only just seen him. No, she said softly, you don't, do you? Not even when it would be easier. Why is that? And he thinks, she saw him. A strange thrill of terror and ex- exultation pierced his heart. She was the first person to ever notice that for all his vocal scorn of poor sea dragon customs, he had his own private code of honor. The first person to ever look past the surface. She saw him. That's powerful shit. I highlighted that part too. Yeah, it's yes. really good. And another thing, like truly love. So she asks him, what stops you from claiming me as your mate? He looked around wildly. I need a drink. She caught his wrist. Her slim fingers were cool against his fevered skin. Oh, then he has, he like flashes back to his nightmare, cold iron around his wrists. No, no more evasions. Now, Joe. There was no reflecting pool. Nothing he could use to check the future. Everything hung in the balance and he was blind in the dark. He could lie to her. He could break his honor at last. Truly be what everyone thought he was. No one would ever know. Except him. Because I can see the future, he said. And if we mate, you will die. So he doesn't even, I mean... He doesn't even break his code. For her, he he shares his secret finally with somebody. The secret mm-hmm. that he's been sitting on for a million years that he hasn't even told his best friends, his found family. He finally tells somebody because he realizes he doesn't want to break his code for anyone. Like, he wants to be honest with her and i'm going to throw up it's so fucking dreamy it's so intimate and like the reason that he does it is because she fucking like stands up to him and she's like you need to fucking tell me what's going on and he's like i am hopeless against you i'm hopeless i chug the respect woman juice you're asking me directly i've got to tell you and i love that yeah i mean this is like the first time he's told anyone this at all and i mean i was thinking before like when he woke up from the dream him saying, like, I saw you die is the first time he has probably said anything of that sort out loud. Mm-hmm. I love him. He's got to have so much PTSD that is yeah, disgust. You know, <laughs> it comes with it comes with the, the territory of being psychic, I guess. Everyone needs therapy. Yeah, don't we all? <laughs> I have also a moment for the monster fuckers among us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, where... yeah. <laughs> with all of us here (laughs) it's but just a her pov and she talks about how she can sense and like literally scent with her mouth and her shark fucking shark nose she can smell when someone's lying she can smell their guilt it says she knew the sour sweat guilt of someone afraid of being caught in a lie she knew the steel sharp scent of someone bravely facing their greatest fear at last refusing to turn tail and flee a shark knew its prey 
Joe was frightened. More than that, he was terrified. She could taste the hammer beat of his heart, the leap of his blood, the sweat running down his back, but he wasn't lying. And I'm like, hang on, I need a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. Give me that. But yeah, I just fucking love that about her. Like, that is such a cool, like, her being a shifter is just so interesting Mm -hmm. and has so many cool things associated with them. Her being a fucking predator, like, mm, does it for me. And like, I mean, that comes up a couple of times, too, in different Mm -hmm. contexts. And I'm like, okay, I fucks with this. She's hot. She's hot. So yeah, so he explains to her, you know, that he is a seer, but he he's more powerful, I guess, than just a regular seer, but he doesn't have control over his abilities. He just kind of sees things at random. He can't purposefully like look at some water and f- look into the future. It just happens randomly. And so there are several reasons as to why he hides this gift, but the biggest being that he's the crown prince. And so if people were to discover that he was also a seer, he would never be allowed to leave Atlantis mm-hmm. because this is such a rare ability and his his ability is just so powerful, more so than people who've actually worked on this for like decades. So yeah, he would just never be able to leave and people would always be coming to him for guidance. And that's just a lot of pressure for one man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The one constant in all these visions, he's seen her die in so many different ways, in so many different places. But the one constant has been that they were mated. And so he says that the only way to prevent her from dying is for them to not mate. So Seven says, like, I am here with you. We are going to come up with a way, like, to stop this. Together. Together. And then we will mate. And he's like, wait. What? That's an option. I'm like, let he's me just write it down so- on my calendar. Fucking on this day. <laughs> yeah. And then he's <laughs> he's just so ecstatic about the fact that he has some sliver of hope now. The opening of the next chapter, they could mate. They could mate. Joe couldn't stop grinning. He felt like bursting into song, but unfortunately, swinging his crewmates into an impromptu dance number would have been overly odd, even for him. He had to settle for whistling cheerfully with the result that he'd already received 16 sincere threats of death and or dismemberment from various colleagues, and it wasn't even 9 o'clock in the morning yet. He didn't care. It was all he could do not to hug every last one of them. He wanted to point Seven out to the whole world, crowing like a rooster. There, that's my mate right there, and she wants me. She wants me. What a fucking dweeb. I love him. Yeah. One thing I love is his inner dragon. As always, I fucking love their... (laughs) inner animals it's so fucking good they their little like relationships with them and you know of course his dragon he, he seems a lot more aligned with his dragon than i feel like weissen was with his unicorn i just remember there being like a lot more kind of like arguing in a way or like different priorities but i feel like joe and his dragon are kind of on the same page mm-hmm. but yeah he's basically like we have to wait to mate hang on and no his dragon roared his animal seed with impatience coiling in his soul now win her now shake the sea with songs in her honor fill her lair with the rarest of treasures offer her the most delicious of delicacies to which i wrote get a bitch some oreos <laughs> like i just love that okay question now for the group mm-hmm. someone's trying to woo you what delicacy do they bring you what little treat? Are we talking about food or are we talking about like a little a little treasure? A little treat, yeah. Whatever. Ooh. I'll, I'll, let's stick with food for now. Food, but okay. I mean, if you also want to include a little treasure, I will not be opposed to hearing that as well. 
I'm going to say that for food, bring me like like a really fancy ice cream. Ooh. Let me take notes. Yeah, yeah, please do. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think for for uh, a little treasure, some some kind of jewelry, maybe maybe a really nice ring that really feels like my personality. My brain just goes to like a crow. I'm like, just bring me something shiny, a coin, perhaps. <laughs> I don't care much for material items. You heard it here, listeners. She's single and she's and she's easily impressed. <laughs> the bar is really low. Uh, bring me a shiny coin. <laughs> I was like some like a like some seven dollar a seven dollar bottle of wine and like some uh, toaster strudel. Mm. That's about it. Mm. Ooh, toaster strudel is really good. Toaster trying to think what strudel. Please make it up with Claudia. Thank you. I don't yeah. think what my treat would be. I think my treat would be Ritz crackers with port wine cheese spread. Ooh. Yeah. You're a little bit of a fancy bitch. I don't am lie. a little bit. I grind my own coffee beans. <laughs> You're a foodie. I love, love it. That. But yeah, port wine cheese spread. Oh, that's my shit. I could eat that shit with a fucking spoon, uh, but I will not because it will clog my arteries. <laughs> Listeners, when I was in Connecticut recently, uh, I got to have a lovely visit with Nicole here. Uh, I mean, and with you know, the Alexandrites too, but whatever. More importantly, Nicole. More importantly, Nicole came to visit and brought mochi donuts. Oh my God. And they were so good. And what was that wine? Please. Oh, please uh, plug Mino that wine. Verde. So it's, uh, I mean, I default to Spanish accent, but it is Portuguese wine, translates to green wine. So freaking good. We got hella toasty off of that. <laughs> so good. And then and then and then Oak's girlfriend gave him a tattoo, as you do when you're yeah. drunk on wine at Airbnb. <laughs> Hell yeah. We have a moment where everyone's trying to like talk to Joe about why he's claiming his mate, because they all know that she's his mate. We're just not talking about it. And Blaze calls him out and says, Joe. If you're going to drag all your drama to work, then it becomes all of our business. I know you, Joe. You've never had a relationship that lasted longer than 48 hours. This, he felt, was a little unfair. Hey, there was that three-day jazz festival, remember? The all-girl trombone group? And I'm like, I want that fan fiction. <laughs> There's so much to unpack in that sentence. Right? It really is. Joe goes to jazz festivals. Joe goes to three-day jazz festivals. I guess he enjoys it. And then there is a jazz group that is all trombone. All-girl trombone group. Do you think it was with yeah. all the trombones? Oh, for sure. Do you think- He had a tromboner. <laughs> yeah, they all blew his tromboner in sequence? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is the motion. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that I'm going to take back what I said about I hope somebody apologized to Edith, kind of, because if everyone knows, I think after they all walked away from that conversation, Edith is like, I feel so like stupid and guilty that I thought that she was Joe's mate. And Rory was probably like, do you see how he looks at her? Of course she's his fucking mate. He's he's just being an avoidant idiot. Yeah, no, that definitely happened. <laughs> One zillion percent. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> There's a lot of like cute group dynamics here. My favorite thing that I have highlighted is Edith and Seven talking and Edith is info dumping to Seven about Pulaski's and because Seven's learning because she's going to be on the fire line and Edith says, 
sorry, I could talk about this stuff all day. And Stefan says, and I would gladly listen, sounding genuinely interested. And I'm like, oh, oh my God, <laughs> that's adorable. Yeah. And we love it. We stand we love an info dumping <laughs> friendship. Also, for the record, Joe, in his very autistic stimming, there was one time where Weiston yelled at him because Joe spent 58 solid minutes singing Baby Shark under his breath. Baby shark, do, 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 baby shark. Do, 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 do. Why is it so slow? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a slow dance. Wow, <laughs> my wedding. Do you think Joe was singing that because he's thinking so much about his shark mate? Oh, for sure. 100%. <laughs> I didn't even connect that. That's really cute. <laughs> and he's thinking about all the little baby sharks they're going to have once they can finally mate. Oh my mate. god. <gasps> Fuck, you're so right. Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> Basically, I feel like the important thing to get from this scene is that Weiston, Callum, and Rory are trying to like convince Seven that Joe is worthy of being a mate because they think she must be judging Joe the way he wanted to be judged by her to keep her away from him. And so they're like, he's really great and loyal and funny. And meanwhile, across the room, Fenrir and Joe are like trying to balance hot sauces on their <laughs> nose. Yeah. There's a fire, but it's not the Blue Brook fire. So not the one that he's been having these visions about. But even so, Joe tells Seven, our squad, they mustn't go. We have to find a way to keep them here. He has a vision. Yes. Rather than tell them, they like take all the coolant out of the hot shot. Yeah. So they just sabotage the vehicle. And so the next morning... They're like, hey, Buck, uh, our car's fucked. Replacing coolant is like this whole process, but also they have to go and get it from the town and then they have to put it in the car and then like something about air bubbles. So they have to run it for a while. So they're going to be a bit far behind. One important character moment, relationship moment between them is Seven is like, I'm not going to let you have nightmares. And Joe explains that a lot of times he would one night sands in order to not have his screaming nightmares because that would have sex would help with that. And she's like, well, we can't have sex, but I, we're going to get fully in our firefighter gear and we're going to cuddle and snuggle. And that way you will not have nightmares. Well, to clarify, he doesn't say that sex helped. He says that like right, being true. cuddled by a person while he sleeps helps and that basically the only way that he could get a woman to cuddle him was if, if she, he had sex with her. Oh, I did highlight this part. Her arm tightened around him. She pressed her lips against his nape in a soft kiss. Sleep well, Joe, she whispered in his ear. And somewhat to his surprise, he did. He's the little spoon. Yeah. Oh, of course this, he is. This big six foot eight man is the little spoon. Get I love back. that. God, I wish that were me. <laughs> a six foot, so six foot eight. <laughs> and it's not just a one-time thing. There are other times where they're sleeping together, and she's also clearly the big spoon then too. Aww, I love it. It's just her role. Big spoon or or, or jetpack. Yeah, jetpack is a fun little term too. Oh yeah, so the reason that Joe needed the squad to stay is because the Thunderbird fucking shows up. The Thunderbird from previous books, for those of you who haven't tuned into the other episodes, is a fucking bird that has been hunting these demons and causing fires because it's been trying to fucking zap them. We also find out later in this book that it's the last Thunderbird. Yeah, so more lore so the thunderbird shows up overhead and it's actually being attacked by these hellhounds which were the same things that attacked seven at the club and apparently hellhounds can fly and they ask fenrir like can you fly and he's like i don't know i haven't tried 
<laughs> I do like that that's his response. He's like, I don't know. I've never tried. <laughs> <laughs> and also, Joe shouts in Sea Dragon. He, he shifts to a Sea Dragon to like protect all of them. He, sh- he shouts in Sea Dragon language, come at me, bros. Yeah. Which is hilarious. Very meany. They manage to fend off this hellhound attack, but the Thunderbird is severely injured. So they actually, Weissen telepathically calls for Candace. Candace! To come and help, which we get our little Candace cameo. She apologizes for potentially misgendering the Thunderbird, which I fucking love. Yeah. How do you know it's male? Edith asked. To be honest, I don't. Short of sticking my arm up its cloaca, there is no way to tell. And I'm not going to test its forbearance that far. Candace patted the Thunderbird absently. Sorry if I'm misgendering you. We stand an ally. Yeah. The Thunderbird made a pained, rumbling wheeze that somehow sounded amused. Real quick, I know we glossed over like the fucking ambush or whatever. Mm-hmm. The only thing I want to mention is that they have a fucking, how's it, how do you say it? Wendigo? Wendigo? Oh yeah, they have a Wendigo. They have a fucking mm-hmm. Wendigo. The fuck? A Wendigo shifter. To be a little tumbler pilled here, like, <laughs> it's honestly like kind of not cool to use the Wendigo just as like your cool cryptid to use. Like, it's a creature from Algonquin legend that has like special significance, but whatever. Okay, yeah, cool. Use use the use the Wendigo, whatever, sure. Thunderbirds are also like indigenous legend, which I'm sure yeah. we brought up at some point. But it's kind of hand waved away because there's some like Lakota characters that show up, find out about. Okay. But uh yeah. Give me a Sasquatch shifter. Ooh. Yeah. Oh my god. What if Sasquatch is just like a really wonky looking monkey shifter? <laughs> Joe tells the squad that he can see the future. And makes him promise that they won't tell his parents, dude, don't tell my parents, please. Don't narc on me. <laughs> Something that did give me a little little haha was mm-hmm. that earlier on, Fenrir said something that made it seem like he knew that Joe could see into the future. So everyone's like, wait, what the fuck? You can see the future? And Fenrir was like, you didn't have to tell us that he already knew. Yeah, and that's something we we need to talk about, bro. Joe remembered Fenrir's enigmatic comment earlier. When did you find out? Fenrir flicked his ears. Always known. Well, you might have shared that with the rest of us, Rory said to the hellhound. Did, bird cat. Fenrir rolled his copper eyes. Told you he was sea snake. Blaze frowned. How does your nickname for Joe relate to his talent? Not all sea dragons can do what he can do. Not sea like water. Fenrir sounded faintly exasperated, as though all this should have been obvious. See like eyes, see snake, because he does. He does, in fact, see snake. Fenrir. <laughs> fucking hoot. Love him. Fenrir's book is great. I'm excited. Oh, one thing we get is Weissen has, has lesbian ants. Yes, love that. Lesbian hellhound aunts. Yeah. yeah. We'd love to see it. You know how all lesbians are hellhounds? Yeah, I, I live with them. Yeah, like Claudia. Yeah. yeah. She's a hell possum. <laughs> So Joe gets a vision of Buck doing something. He's like, you have to stop him. And Callum hears this car like drive up. That's Buck. And it's just speeding towards the Thunderbird. And Buck like fast and the furious slides to a stop. And he gets out and he points a gun at the Thunderbird. And Joe's like, hey, swimmer down. There's no need to shoot the Thunderbird. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. Uh, You're welcome. Did any of you think that shooting this gigantic bird with a pistol was going to do anything? No. Yeah, for real. Like, maybe if he shot it, like, 15 times. (laughs) 
How many bullets are in the chamber? I think like 12 usually. <laughs> oh shit, we're three short. <laughs> but we get Buck's tragic Bax's book story. Yes. And why he wants to kill the Thunderbird. Because we find out that the Thunderbird was responsible for a fire at the like ranch that Candace and Weiston just moved into to become like an animal sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Because Buck like, you know, just was like, yeah, go ahead and take that land because I'm not using it. But apparently Buck's sister, brother-in-law, and his nephew, his like young, youngish nephew, were all died in this fire that the, the Thunderbird created, presumably because there was demons afoot. So he's very traumatized by this. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason why he had that like conspiracy board of newspapers talking about all these like mysterious fires. And that was 13 Mm -hmm. years ago. So he's been hunting this bird for 13 years. Yep. And And um, that's why. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Were you going to say that's why he doesn't swear? Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't swear because his sister didn't want him to swear around her kid. Yeah. Honestly, Buck is sweetheart yeah love buck i know i've established this in previous episodes but i fucking love buck and i figured that this was the case Mm -hmm. like i knew that it wasn't just like a firefighter thing like he took hunting the thunderbird very personally so i figured something like this had happened but like actually reading it is very sad i love buck yeah Mm -hmm. my boy Buck, like, really breaks down, too. Like, not in, like, an actual, like, sobbing kind of way, but in the worst way of, like, this is Buck breaking down where he's just, he gets, like, really misty-eyed and can't really talk about it. It's Buck Wild. Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) I'm cutting that from the episode. Fuck you. (laughs) How dare you? But no, like, he has a whole war flashback and everything, like, when he's in the midst of finding his freaking sister on fire basically so you know they say you know what the thunderbird hunts and it's you know demons and so he said that wilma his big sister her last voicemail she was talking about something big prowling around the ranch some kind of wild animal that was why she wanted me to come back she sounded scared she was my big sister she was the brave one but whatever she saw it scared even her weiston says it sounds very much like a demon chief i know this doesn't help but Maybe when the Thunderbird started that fire, it was already too late for your family. Maybe. Buck stared down at his hands. Maybe they were already gone and the fire just took their bodies. I hope so. God help me, I hope so. Like, it's so fucking sad. The best part of this is this little paragraph. Nobody said anything. Timidly, Blaze reached out to touch Buck's hand. He didn't look round, but his fingers gripped hers. Just him accepting that little bit of like comfort yeah yeah buck really is part of the found family as well he's he is of course daddy totally daddy huh daddy daddy Buck. yeah also buck sounds like kind of a bear to be honest oh for sure it's true i know buck's hot also buck go to therapy yeah (laughs) everyone in this fucking series go to therapy (laughs) for real weiss needs to go to therapy because he's british and he suffers from that We do have to mention that in every wildfire. <laughs> yeah, <episode. laughs> he suffers from being British. There's a moment where you really see how much the responsibility of this is like weighing on Joe mm. and, you know, Seven supporting him with it. You know, he's like, I have to know what's going on. Like he's trying to scry over and over and over again. He's like, everyone's counting on me, everyone. And she's just like, I'm with you. You haven't let us down, you know, and she really is able to like support him. And it's very, very fucking cute. And I fucking ship them so hard. Yeah. They're so good. I love them so much. They're so fucking good. She supports him. She lets him be soft and like lets him let go. 
which he needs. They have mm-hmm. a moment here where he says, I could kiss you. What? She started to say again and then lost the power of speech entirely because he did. His tongue plunged between her lips, fierce and triumphant. She sank into the kiss, her body molding against his. Without conscious thought, she brought her hands up, locking them around the back of his strong neck. He pulled back at last with a last teasing nip that made her breath catch. He pressed his forehead against hers. The forehead thing always gets me. Mm-hmm. Not always. long now, his turquoise eyes glowed like sunlight through tropical water, a light with barely leashed desire. See, I can't wait until we can claim each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's good shit. Although, okay, I will say there are several mentions of of fucking Joe going tongue first. Ah. <laughs> like just <laughs> leaning with shoving his tongue in her mouth. And I'm like, Joe, please yeah. calm down. Absolutely. He's, <laughs> He's got the the dragon tongue. <laughs> it's just not necessary. Later on, it's nighttime and Joe goes down and finds Seven by the lake. So they're at this lake, which is, I guess, some decent amount of distance away from the rest of the camp, I hope. So Seven is just like sitting out there and she just is really tense about all of this. Joe feels like they can definitely like win this spell and like prevent this vision where Seven dies. But he's like, but we can't mate yet and it's killing me because like I gotta make sure. And she's like, this is all my fault. I failed you. I'm not fit to be your bodyguard. A dragon could protect you better. She gets into her shark shame. Yeah, she she gets into some her internalized shark phobia. Mm-hmm. Where she's like, if I weren't a shark, I would have been I would be able to like protect you better and this wouldn't be an issue at all. Yeah, which Joe is like arguing with her and is like, No, you're awesome. Yeah. Your crazy senses and your your strategy and stuff. Yeah, like you don't have limitations. You can breathe underwater. And she's like a much better swimmer than him. <laughs> yeah. He's still like, you're fucking awesome. And she's like, but Lord Azure says, and he's like, I'm going to fucking bitch slap Lord Azure into the sun. Yeah. Stick his head into one of the royal toilets. <laughs> We'd love to see it. One other like weird lore thing that we get is that apparently sea dragons like were not initially designed to be in they're they're literally dragons that decide one day fuck land and decide to live under the sea. Under the sea. Wow. Wow. So after her talking about her internalized shark phobia, Joe's like, it's been so long since she shifted because she reveals that she used to like spend a lot of time in the air pockets in Atlantis and she like wasn't really permitted to shift because Lord Azure was like, you should be spending all your free time doing fucking drills and shit. If you have time to lean, you have time to <laughs> Be clean. a shark. Or not be a shark. <laughs> if you have time to shark, you have time to park your ass down and read a book. <laughs> basically. <laughs> so Joe's like, come on, come swimming with me. And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? There's a freshwater lake. I'm a fucking great white sexy shark. So they go in and, and he's like, just trust me, just trust me. And they have a very little kind of, I don't know if there's any, you guys have any steamy bits where they're getting undressed and they're both like super fucking horny for each other. Try not to like dwell on it. Oh, I do have one highlight. The curved leather plate fell to the ground with a thump, exposing the elegant line of her shoulder blade. <gasps> oh, man. Oh. Shoulder. You know that I love the shoulders. I wrote down, yeah, buddy, love a shoulder. (laughs) Wow. God, you're so valid. You're so valid. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, yeah, he's completely just, he's not even looking at her. He's just listening to her undress. He's, like, gripping (laughs) 
he's doing this meme that we mentioned earlier. <laughs> Horny grip. Yeah. And so then Joe reveals that his mother told him that where we are, so is the ocean. We are connected to the water and the waves always, no matter how far we may go. Wherever you are, you are always home. And so apparently, this is very important for later, Joe can like project the sea around him. They're in the fucking lake and he's able to make like a 10 foot salt water glow around him. You know, he's trying to get her to, to shift because he's like, check it out. You can be safe because you you can breathe the salt water. And we also want like kill the all the fish in the lake because it's just this little area, which is very considerate of him. Real quick, you know how people are like, oh, the ocean is salty because of like whale cum. <laughs> <laughs> no, do people say that? Yes, they do. No, but he's, he just has his power to come all in the water. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> anyway, continue. Oh, my God. I just um, need to oh, ruin that real quick. Yeah, yeah, of course. Anyway, as a born and raised Southern Californian, I, I, I connect with this heart of the sea bullshit. Basically, he's kind of like telling her like, shift, shift. And his dragon is like, come on, she needs to shift. Like it's her, it's her, her soul. But she's like not into it. She's like, no, I'm not going to, I can't. And I have a, a fucking dreamy highlight where he's like, with an effort, he walled himself off from the sea's insistent pull once more. His awareness shrank back to his own senses. It's okay. Without even tasting it, he knew that the water lapping against his chin was merely the lake once more. It's gone now. I'm sorry. I won't pressure you about shifting again. Again, the bar is so low. It is <laughs> under the sea. Under the sea. But like, I, she's like, promise. And he says, I promise. But I wish you would tell me why you're so scared of your shark. But it's like, you, I believe him. Like, I yeah. believe this man's not going to pressure me to shapeshift into my shark. And I really appreciate that. Um, Joe, please call me. <laughs> we stand consent. Call me on your house. shell phone. Ah! There it is. On your shell phone. Do, 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 late, do. late night when you need my love. I know when that. All right. Hang on. Uh. <laughs> no, I can't think of a pun. Hot brine. Ah, there we go. I know when that hot brine ring. <laughs> Hotline. Wait, hot brine bling. <laughs> You're struggling. <laughs> 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 anyway she then gets into her tragic shark backstory nicole do you want to take this tragic shark backstory tragic shark backstory is that uh her dad's part of the shark mob <laughs> <laughs> you guys do you think he's a card shark oh my god oh, oh my god also i gotta say the first half of this book because we're, we've been thinking about memes that we're going to put together into a, a Twitter thread of like a meme for every book we've read. I was like, nice. I so hope that Seven never knew her father so I can use that Finding Nemo clip where Bruce says, <laughs> I never knew my father and then bursts into tears. <laughs> and guess what? <laughs> I take it you got your shark side from him. He felt her nod. I never actually knew him. Yes. Like, yes. Ha 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 ha. Yes. Sickos. <laughs> Chewing up my gifts. Oak, tell us what happens. What she what she say? Tell us her story. So Shark Daddy didn't tell uh Seven's mom. Mommy. What? what? Mommy? Yeah, didn't didn't tell Mommy Shark. Daddy Shark, do 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 didn't tell Mommy Shark do 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 do. Mommy human. Shark. Mommy human, yeah. That they were expecting a baby shark. 
Yeah, so even after she was born, it was only when the mom was going to leave him that he was like, okay, but the daughter stays with me because she's a shark. And then he transformed his head into a shark head and she passed out. Which, like, how do you keep that? Especially if they have the shark teeth, how did he keep that under wraps? So, I think what he must have told her is probably the same lie that she told Seven when she was a baby. Or a a kid, which is like, if you see anyone with shark teeth run, your dad's friends in the mob have their teeth filed down to look like shark teeth. Right, right, right. As one does. That's like the whole plot of The Godfather. Yeah. (laughs) You come to me on the day of my daughter's shark wedding. (laughs) But you you don't ask with respect. You don't even call me shark father. Shark father, oh. I wanted to congratulate you on this beautiful wedding. I hope that your first child is a masculine child. <laughs> sorry, sorry, the Italian jumped right out of me. <laughs> <laughs> As it does. Contain the Italian. <laughs> so the mom passes out and uh, Daddy Shark tosses her into a room with Seven. Because Seven is crying, he's like, ah, fuck it, lock her in there with mom for a while. We'll figure out what to do with them. <laughs> And then Seven's mom takes her and, like, jumps off of this boat out the window. And I I assume it was a boat, right? I don't think so. Did I imagine so. that this took place on a yacht? <laughs> you you fully imagine that. There's no mention of a boat. What the fuck are you talking about? You're making, hey, Luke, you're making ship up. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Shit. That's is the worst. <laughs> that was the best, and I'm a fucking blessing. Rate us five stars, please. Okay, <laughs> yeah, give me... somebody please rate us on iTunes. We have one rating. Somebody else, please. <laughs> so she like jumps out the window with her, and then just like leaves the state. And they spend the next thirteen years like moving from town to town, away from the ocean. Yeah, away from the ocean. Never ocean. And so one day, it was a hot summer day, and Seven just felt the pull to just go somewhere and so she just left her house she walked down the street and she found this pool party and she just kind of like walked into this pool party and just kind of like dared at the pool and then this guy is there like this this like older man (laughs) but he tells her something like oh great water huh or something like that (laughs) when I, i have it he asked me if I wanted to swim. I told him I didn't know how. He looked at me a moment longer, then got down on one knee stiffly so that we were eye to eye. And he said, yes, you do. And then she could see that he had fucking shark teeth. And she was like. Because <gasps> her mom always told her to run the fuck away if she saw something with shark teeth. Her mom told her if she saw anybody with shark teeth, she needed to fucking book it. Because her dad and the mob had, had shark teeth and they were going to come after her. Yeah. She also mentions that she didn't shift until she was 12, which is very unusual for a water shifter, mm-hmm. which is also why she can pass for human. Also, this very funny line, Seven trod water at his side calmly as though she hadn't just revealed years of appalling trauma, <laughs> <laughs> which like mood. Yeah, I was like, that's a, that's a mood where you say something like horrendous from your childhood and people look at you like horrifically and you're like, what? Yeah, you tell a funny anecdote and everyone just gets really quiet. <laughs> and then you realize, oh. Trauma dumped real quick. <laughs> so they leave the state again. Mom's like, fuck this. But who shows up the next night but Joe's fucking 
dad. Daddy. Because the daddy, because the man that Seven met was actually Joe's godfather, Master of Sharks. Not to be confused, of course, with Metallica's Master of Puppets. That's also where my brain went. <laughs> wow. Okay, wait. They, like, pause at that part of the story so that they can get out of the water because they've been swimming this whole time. Mm-hmm. And I have a fucking dreamy highlight where they get back on land and, you know, they're once again horny for each other because now they're wet <laughs> and out of the water. Yeah, they are. And she's, she's in a white sports bra and boy shirts, which, like, hell yes. <laughs> hell yes. <laughs> um, he keeps talking about how muscly <laughs> she is. I'm like, ooh. He pauses in his horniness. And again, the bar is so low. <laughs> he pauses in his horniness and says, as much as I want you, I also want to hear the rest of your story. I'm listening. Yeah, it's very cute. <laughs> Joe's dad tells her about Atlantis and basically gets permission from her mom to take her there. And she learns about knights and is like, that's what I want. Because Joe's dad made such an impression on her that she's like, I want to be you. Daddy. Daddy. <laughs> father-in-law <laughs> daddy-in-law oh god here's the point of the book that just like it gets kind of stupid for like five minutes 100%. where mm-hmm. seven is like okay well now i'm going to resign in disgrace i'm not going to be your bodyguard anymore i have failed you goodbye and she like presents him her sword which is like a ritual of like i am in absolute disgrace and shame and please take this from me and he's like Absolutely not. Yeah, because traditionally in the olden days, if you did that, the assumed response was take the sword and cut off your head. That's how disgraced you were. Yeah, drama. The medieval society, always so dramatic. This is honestly, it's such a sad scene. Like, because she's just like decides like, I'm never going to be worthy enough. Like, I'm never going to be what you need. And he's like, no, there's no one worthier than you. I want you at my side. I need you. And she's like, no, I need you to be safe. I need you too. You told me that you yourself that I was not going to be able to protect you, but my pride and dreams of knighthood deluded me into trying anyway. I know better now. I have to return to Atlantis so that someone stronger can take my place as your bodyguard. But your knighthood, his distress distorted the human words, blending them with a sea dragon's keening cry of grief. Your dream. To which I said, same. <laughs> like, that's so sad. Yeah. Wait, but then it was a false dream, she whispered against his lips. Just just a delusion. You have shown me the truth. You are my dream now. And this is the only way I can keep you safe. Seven, yeah. please call me. <laughs> There's always this contrived moment in these books. They follow this formula of like finding just an extremely contrived reason to separate them and cause drama. Yeah. So like in this case, I understand that she feels like she can't protect him. She's dealing with some deep shame, but like I just don't buy that she would actually like leave him. She's literally made of loyalty. The least contrived one was Weiston's. Yeah. Where he seriously offended her. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm still mad at him for that. <laughs> Shithead, but they're married now. It's fine. Yeah. So anyway, Joe does take Seven's sword. After lots of arguing. After lots of arguing, he takes it. She like formally gives it over. And she says, my prince, she said formally, fighting with every ounce of willpower not to break down. I leave your service. I forsake my vow and break my oaths. My hand dishonors this blade. I relinquish it to you in reparation for the harm I have caused. May you find one worthier to bear it. Slowly, carefully, he took her weapon from her. It was like losing a limb. I accept your blade. He put it down carefully as though it was a sleeping infant. When he straightened again, his eyes were fierce, blazing with an emotion she'd never seen there before. 
but only for now, because of what you have touched, no other may claim. I will guard what is yours until you return and take it up once more. Mm. Which is not part of the ritual. Nicole, you're leaning in here. I love them so much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually leaning in to plug my phone in because it's like dead. <laughs> 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 but also yes i'm in love with them yeah and basically he says like you will not go in disgrace you will go in triumph with celebrations and fanfare to present yourself to the pearl empress as tradition demands you will go as a princess of atlantis you will go as my mate he's like you are not disgracing yourself bitch i will not allow he would never call her bitch <laughs> not allow it yeah it's really really good and then that leads them to okay well if you're going back to atlantis and you're gonna be safe there um, what if we made it, actually? And then we get to fucking baby. Ow, yeah. Ow. How about this, like, 10-page sex scene? Fuck. Yeah. This is one of the best, if not the best sex scene we have ever read on this podcast. Yes. It, yes. We've read a lot of good sex scenes. This, this, <laughs> in the history of three little words, there's been five <laughs> sex scenes rated the most amazing most steamy this one blew them all all out of the water why and why is that oak uh because of the claiming i mean also because it's like a full ass sex scene this shit had me sweating you could so can we go through this like blow by blow please yeah (laughs) blow by blow (laughs) (laughs) so we start off so he basically shoves her to the ground, kisses her and pushes her to the ground while doing it. She's like, we, we can't, your vision. And he wound her braids around one hand, forcing her to face him, which, wow, what a way to start this. Mm. Hang on, Ooh. I'm going to close my window. That's how sexy this is. <laughs> I don't want anyone outside to maybe. I feel like this could be an hour long podcast just talking about this. It really could be. Joe becomes, he becomes a fucking beast here. Yes. And it is so hot. So hot. Um, it is so hot. She is so into it. They fucking get each other. She talks about how there's some playfulness. He was breathing as hard. We're going to end up reading so much of this, but whatever. He was breathing as hard as if he'd just run an ultra marathon. There was no playfulness in his turquoise eyes now. They were dark, raw animal desire, focused on her with the utter concentration of a hunting predator. He goes, swear to me you'll go. He gave her a little shake to emphasize his words, which hot. Not hard enough to hurt, but emphatic enough to that show of dominance sent a fresh wave of heat gushing between her legs. Swear on your honor you'll leave me here. Swear it. Oh, the way I highlighted that so fucking fast, my yeah. fucking hand cramped from moving so quickly. And she swears <laughs> on her honor. His white teeth flash in a fierce, triumphant smile. Then you're mine, now. He pulled her head back further, exposing her throat. She gasped as his hot mouth fastened on her neck. He kissed his way from her jaw to the hollow of her throat, open-mouthed, biting. Every rough scrape of his teeth against her skin had her bucking upward, desperate for more. And then... He gets he gets some some nipple play in there. He like takes off her sports bra and just starts licking and and sucking on her nipples while like rubbing on the other one. And she comes from that. Yeah, she comes from that. I was gonna say, but first of all, at this point, she has lost all ability to talk. Yep, mood, big mood, huge mood. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. Not like this fucking virgin Weiston over here. <laughs> the virgin Weiston versus the Chad Joe. <laughs> <laughs> what I wouldn't give to be seven in this scene, I swear to God. 
Oh, One zillion percent. Sweat. So he makes her come from the nipple play. Yeah. Oh, and then he starts just talking really dirty. Oh my god. Can can we like his? Oh my god. His dirty talk was so sending me into a fucking different dimension and onto a different plane of existence. He says, "I'm I'm skipping the fish swearing." <laughs> I've wanted to do that for so long. I could listen to you come all day. She's suddenly horribly aware of her teeth, sharp, jagged in her mouth. Hey, Joe surged up her body so that his face hung over hers once more. His hands cupped her face. Stay with me. Stay with me, Seven. I need you. All of you. His eyes filled her world. Dark pools of desire filled with love. He wanted her. All of her. They make out. Yeah, they make out for a while longer. And he try he tries to take his pants off. I found this very memey. He tries to take his <laughs> pants off, but they're still wet, and I guess they are like kind of tight jeans. So he can't take them off. So he just he just rips them. So he he gets out of his pants, and his cock comes out of his pants. They say and cock. They, make a, they, they they say cock. They say cock. And they make a point to tell us that he has an enormous cock. Just really giving us the important word detail. around the office is he's got a fat cock. I, I highlighted this because I couldn't not. He didn't waste time trying to peel his pants off. He just shoved the wet denim down his lean hips. His cock leaped free at last. Her pulse pounded even harder at the sight of his hard, straining shaft. His erection was in proportion to the rest of him, which meant it was enormous. She didn't feel the slightest bit intimidated, though. His size only made her more dizzy with desire, fresh wetness welling between her legs in readiness. Oh, and then, and, and then it gets even better. I the money I would pay, the people I would kill to have sex with this man. I swear to God. Uh, <laughs> he says, "Don't touch me, not yet. You're so gorgeous. I'll come if you touch me. I won't be able to help, and I need to come in you, buried deep in your beautiful, beautiful body, feeling you shudder and clench around me. I need you, seven, seven. I'm gonna throw up." And then he fucking tears her shorts off and. He keeps talking. Like, that's the thing. I'm like, wow. Like, it just keeps going. Seven even comments internally. She, at one point, she says, how is he still talking? Which is a moon. This is like five pages from now, though. Which, yeah. Which, like, they're, they give us so much. God bless you, Zoe Chance. God bless you. You give us so much. So much. I, like, <laughs> I could read this whole fucking scene, but I won't because I can't. But I could. Basically, he rips her shorts off, and then he's like, Oh, Seven, do you know what you're doing to me? His palms skinned over her inner thighs, making her tremble. Let me look at you. Let me just look at you. And he like, ooh, he like tugs her into his lap. Beautiful, he breathed. So beautiful. My beautiful mate. He ran one finger lightly over her sex. Her sex? Okay. <laughs> you read fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's also a romance novel thing. Sorry. She bucked at the first contact. Fireworks shooting through her. He traced her slick, swollen folds, every touch electrifying. Yes, he growled in approval. Growled. So wet for me. For me. Fucking kills me. The so wet for me thing gets me every fucking time. I'm going to break something. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so he's like fucking fingering her. And he's like, wait, I need this first. And he fucking tastes her from his fingers and then he continues fingering her and he says, I want to keep tasting you so badly. Soak my tongue in you. Lick you until you're overflowing. Drink every drop as you come. Oh my it God. should be noted, his voice shakes with need while saying this. Excuse me? Have you been reading my thoughts? <laughs> I do have a note here. I do have a note here. 
he's saying that he wants to keep tasting her and he says but if my face is buried between your thighs i can't watch you which like listen going down on people is my favorite thing to do <laughs> you can totally you can still watch it's not that hard <laughs> come on be completely focused on it though. oh yeah he's he's in it i guess <laughs> he will lose himself in the pachingo seven my seven. I'm too hot. I'm going to explode the instant I slide into you. I'm going to come in you so hard I won't be able to see. Won't be able to see your face as you come too. I want to see you. Yes, that's right. Like that. Show me. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. The whole thing, like how he says, like the second he slides into her, he's going to come. And so he's like making sure that she gets off first because he like already knows. I'm going to throw up. This is too much. You stand. I need to go to church and also therapy, but mostly church. <laughs> <laughs> these horny demons exercised we stand oh a man God. who's like i need to make sure you come a few times before i before i get up in there like oh oh my god damn i gotta say i think that it's interesting and hot that this sex scene directly ends around how hot it is that basically joe cannot stop himself from coming like immediately okay listen as as a guy that is not a message you generally get you know there's a big emphasis on like stamina and stuff but i have learned more and more recently that girls i mean as long as you you're going to going to satisfy them in general often think it's really hot when you cannot hold back true so long as i get off first yes exactly <laughs> yeah yeah as long as you're gonna like make me keep coming exactly there's there's an effort that needs to be involved there but like also, I feel like I need to like the person. So I don't think I've ever had this experience. There's a difference from like a guy that you like come home from a bar with and he's like, you know, he doesn't give you any foreplay. And he just like fucks you and immediately comes and he rolls over <laughs> and goes to sleep. That's different. Okay. That's a different story than a guy who's like, I literally am so fucking into you. I'm gonna fucking bust a nut. Like as soon as I get over there, like in one second, but I'm gonna make you keep coming because like, I'm so fucking into you and I'm like hungry for you. Different story. <laughs> and we fucking stand. And then we also Ooh. get into the whole like mine thing where mm. he says, my beautiful shark, mine, my mate, mine. He just keeps saying mine. Oh my god. I thought my beautiful shark is such a cute line. Yeah. It's really sweet. Yeah, because I mean, like, this is a part of herself that she doesn't like mm -hmm. and she's like ashamed of. And he's like, no, like, you're my beautiful shark. It's so good. <gasps> it's so good. Like, I accept all of you and I want all of you. Oh. And then he slid into her, burying himself to the hilt in one fierce thrust. She thought herself wrung out and spent at her limit, but he crashed through her like a tsunami, sweeping her back into bliss with shocking suddenness. It was more than just the powerful surge of his body into hers, glorious as that was. He was in her, in her mind, her soul. True to his word, Joe went rigid at the first thrust. He was so deep she could feel every pulse, every twitch as he fought for control. His face twisted, tendons standing out in his neck. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, listeners, if you're reading this somewhere that you can't, like, go home right now. <laughs> I, like, oh needed to take breaks reading this because I was, like, I'm, like, getting overwhelmed. Like, this is too horny. I need to go to church. Yeah. <laughs> I really love the paragraph that follows, too. She didn't uh -huh. want him to hold back. She wanted all of him now pouring into her without restraint. She ground against him, making him gasp and swear. Still, he held on, though sweat stood out on his brow. And then, of course, th the best part. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. His arms flexed, pulling her upright so they were pressed together, skin to skin, torso to torso. 
She didn't realize what he wanted until his hand tightened on the back of her neck. Mine, he gasped, pulling her mouth down to his hard, hot shoulder. Yours. Always. Claim me. His salt sea scent filled her lungs. His body filled hers. Nothing else existed. Nothing else mattered. Everything was bright and simple and clear. She bit him. With an ecstatic groan, he spilled into her at last. Somewhere in the sea of bliss, their animals swam to meet each other. His dragon's coils entwined around her shark. They spiraled together higher and higher in perfect unison until together they broke through into brilliant, blinding delight. <sighs> I'm going to throw myself in a dumpster. I'm mm-hmm. literally never coming back to this podcast. Like, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is it. This, this, this is it. This is, this is, oh, God, this this is literature. <laughs> Great Gatsby, who? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sorry, F. Scott, but we gotta, we gotta put you to bed here. You literally have it next to you. <laughs> you Oak just pulled out the Great Gatsby from nowhere. What the fuck? We watched it uh, either last weekend or the weekend before, and oh I God. got it out then. And I never put it away. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Best sex scene ever, ever in fiction, ever written. Ever written. Like, yeah. I need to sh- share this with everybody that I know. I'm mm-hmm. going to. <laughs> yeah. And it was really funny because, like, y'all remember when I, like, went to y'all and I was like, hey, y'all cannot wait to get to see Dragon because the fucking sex scene is insane. Yeah, you oh sent God. us a, a little snippet of it. You sent us the yeah. boob part. The boob part. The boob part. Booba. <laughs> we were like, oh damn, that's actually like a sex scene and not nothing. Yeah, don't give me uh, this vanilla shit. The Zoe who wrote this one has written a lot of fan fiction. Oh, I fucking 100%. guarantee it. Mm-hmm. One zillion percent. Like, goddamn. Oh. Anyway, that was the best part of the book. We can just go home now. <laughs> yeah, all right, that's it. The, the plot happens. Call it. The end. Good night. <laughs> Tip your weight staff, we're done. Honestly, I do really kind of want to speed through a lot of the rest. Yeah, we can speed through the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, 100%. That was the important part. It was really good. Anyway, so after that, first of all, he looks at the bite mark that she gave him. He ran a finger over the neat circle of triangular puncture marks. They were already scabbing over, his healer shifting, kicking in. Even so, it was deep enough to scar. He would carry her mark on his body for the rest of his life. It's perfect. He sat up too, capturing her mouth for a long, lingering kiss, like you. <gasps> she let out an aggravated huff, but kissed him back. <laughs> Immediately after coming, she's like, oh, you're such a fucking dork. <laughs> oh, the way I'm in love with them. They're yeah. so good. Okay, so let's talk about the rest of the plot. So yeah. that night, Joe has a completely different vision, where because he sent Seven home, now they apparently do not capture him. They do not capture anyone from A-Squad. And instead, he gets this scene of Lupa, the woman who like tried to kidnap him, and the shifter who is a Wendigo. And they have this whole conversation where the guy, his name is Mort. He's, a, he's the Wendigo Mort. The Mortish. Death name. <laughs> Stupid. Um, he says like, like, Lupa, it's over. We have to do this. You have to make me the sacrifice. I know that plan A was really what we were hoping for, but, you know, I'm okay with this. And she comes pretty close to breaking down, sobbing. And she says, but you'll be gone if you're a willing sacrifice, I will eat your soul instantly. Which actually fills in a huge question mark in the first two books of the series. Like, 
why did that demon that possessed Seth completely destroy him, but it didn't oh, do that to right. Rory or... Uh, the unicorns. Yeah, the unicorns. But it's because an unwilling sacrifice retains their soul and a willing sacrifice does not. They completely give up everything to the demon. Damn. They say, I'm at your surfish. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I really feel like these puns are surfish level. Sooner or later, you gotta enjoy them. I guess it's Scooter. Fuck! Oh my there god, you embarrassing. We're leaving that in <laughs> to shame you publicly. <laughs> That's right, I'm, I'm used to that. It's kind of my brand. I want to finish this, this vision because this shit made me, like, tear up. And I'm like, why would you do this to me? Like, I love that you did this on, like, a base level. Like, oh, you really, like, all of a sudden deeply humanized your villains here yeah where it's like mm-hmm. they're clearly mm-hmm. doing something evil for some reason but like they have like people they care about and they're they're trying to like go against our heroes to like save themselves to save somebody that they love lupa's voice cracked broke we won't we won't even have time to say goodbye so we'll say goodbye now mort kissed the top of lupa's head tenderly as a father tucking his child into bed goodbye little one i love you never forget that The hellhound Alpha's voice was barely audible. I won't. He sees the rest of the scene where she summons the demon, and much like in his original vision, the demon, like, comes out of the ground and, like, flies into the Wendigo, and that guy, that guy's gone. It basically stops there, and Joe feels so guilty about this that he decides that he's going to sacrifice himself, or at least, like, he's either going to sacrifice himself or... His plan of, like, trying to get the Thunderbird in to, like, help him is going to come through, which he doesn't think that's going to work. Which still sacrifices him. It just also takes... He's trying to take out the demons. Yeah. By basically, like, sac- by, like, becoming their sacrifice. And then he, like, confers with the Thunderbird and is like, and then you're going to come and, like, fucking burn everything up so that they die. Yeah. But I'll die, too. And he doesn't think to try to, like, talk about this plan with anyone. Yeah, it's no. just, like... It's the same exact Candace thing of, like, I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm just going to go. And, in fact... Yeah. Joe goes to such fucking great lengths that Callum immediately susses out that Joe is acting fucking weird. And he follows him around this, this like fire site, like all day. He does not let this man go anywhere by himself. They go off to another fire. He, he makes seven stay behind. He's like, I know this is the right thing. You have to stay here. They had talked to Atlantis. His mom was like going to come pick her up basically and take her. And he was like, okay, bye. Peace out. And then, yeah, like his plan was honestly like, he's got a lot of like fucking, he understands people really well. So he actually like planned to make Callum suspicious of him and follow him around. So then he then could. Did he? Yeah. It's there's a, there's a line in there about that. He's like, it wasn't that hard. Joe was surprised how easy it had been. He thought he'd have to act a lot more suspicious to make Callum follow him. So it was part of his plan. Okay. So then he gets, basically he gets Callum alone. He uses, Seven's stun sword, which he has because she fucking gave it to him to knock him out, to taser his friend. (laughs) And then he's like, I go into the forest. I am a willing sacrifice. And then he gets kidnapped. So Seven expected like some random schmuck to come and pick her up from from the Mm -hmm. base to take her back to Atlantis. But who in fact comes but the Pearl Empress herself? The Pearl Mommy herself. Yeah, the Pearl Mommy. She came because Joe had mentioned, like, 
I'm gonna call my mom and tell her that you're coming back because you're my mate and I can't I can't have you here in danger. And so his mom comes and he's like, I mean, I wanna meet the girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And again, Zoe takes explicit detail yeah. to tell us how fucking hot the Pearl Empress is. Like, she wasn't wearing a crown or formal robes of sage. It's a simple silk sundress that clung to her generous curves. <laughs> it's like, yeah. all right. What she hadn't mama. expected was for a tall, curvy, motherly woman to breeze into the gym without so much as a knock. Goodness, that's a steep mountain. And a long walk up from the lake. The woman settled her ample backside onto the end of a weight bench. <laughs> yeah. She thick. Yeah. Thicker than a they, bowl of porridge. Call mm-hmm. me, please. <laughs> and they have a really nice conversation. Like, uh, her name is, uh, what, Neridia. Yeah. And she basically is like, seven level with me. Is Joe being an idiot? Like, do you really, should you really come to Atlantis? <laughs> and she immediately realizes, no, no, I need to go. Yeah. And also we learn that Neridia has known that Joe was psychic this entire time. <gasps> Which, like, come on. You gotta do something. She's like, of course I know. He screamed every night for like 15 years. (laughs) And you were like, damn, that was some some real rough nocturnal emissions. (laughs) No. He tried to pass it off as nightmares, but she always like knew or highly suspected. And she really has this talk about how like she really regrets that she couldn't give him a normal childhood, but she feels like it was almost selfish of her to keep him. But she loves him. Which is really sweet. Yeah. Very sweet. Anyway, that's yeah. the end of that conversation. So Joe's been kidnapped. He decides to like do some talking for a long time to try and distract Lupa while the Thunderbird swoops in. Which is very funny. Like, yeah, I love how witty he is. Like he just, Lupa's like trying to talk to do the like formal sacrifice thing. And she's like, fine, accept this unwilling and exceedingly annoying sacrifice. His heart awaits you. And he's like, it really, really doesn't. 100% already taken this heart. And I'm sorry to say that she's a lot prettier than Mr. Unteki, the demon. But I'm sure there's someone somewhere who's just pining to give their heart to a giant horned snake. Has he tried online dating? Which, <laughs> me and very funny. Two, like, hellhounds come in holding seven. Of course. And uh, they're like, hey, uh, Thunderbird dropped this girl off. <laughs> we got her, though. Do you have a dart? So Joe immediately starts begging for, like, Okay, never mind. I'm a willing sacrifice now. Or take me, leave Seven alone. Because this is his his nightmare that he's had for his like whole life of her sacrificing herself in front of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's saying like, please take me, and she's like, no, take me. <laughs> but suddenly, Joe realizes something, and it really uh jumps the shark, doesn't it? <laughs> or or sw- flies the shark? Yeah, it flies. He flies the shark. What happened is that. <laughs> Joe's power that he used before to like make the lake water into seawater it doesn't just do that it makes like seawater around him he doesn't have to be in water for it and they kind of alluded to this earlier where like shifter couples in the mate bond can like send a little bit of their power back and forth so he sends his heart of the sea power to seven so she's just like in a bubble of seawater and she shifts into a shark and can yes. like fly around and and bite people. Is and this the plot honestly, of Sharknado? I, yes. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's honestly the coolest shit. It's so it's so weird and corny, but I absolutely love it. Oh yeah, I ate the shit up. I was like, holy, like you know, she was pretty useless not being able to shift before, and then it was like, oh, here's your little bubble. 
have fun. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I read it, you know, this is my second time reading it. And I think the first time was I imagined like a bubble around her. Mm-hmm. But what they describe is it's just kind of like inside of her. Yeah. Like you don't yeah. see because everyone around her, like the demon that like just popped out of the ground and like, you know, Lupa, they're like, what the fuck is happening? Suddenly the shark is floating. <laughs> and it's like terrifying. You know, yeah, <laughs> flying shark for no reason. <laughs> for no fucking reason. And then what happens? Thunderbird comes in and... Yeah, she really, yeah. like, like gets at that demon and gets his ass. And then Thunderbird flies in and Joe's like, all right, pick me up. Let's go. <laughs> and How did he get out of the shackles, by the way? I think they must have unshackled him at some point and didn't mention oh, that it. That seems like a bad idea. <laughs> well, because he's drugged anyway. I guess. Like, he could barely, like, stand. So he, like, rides on... He rides on Seven as she flies through the air. I, I want to read this part. Yeah. This part yeah, please. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. As he rode a giant flying shark through the sky with fire and lightning exploding in their wake, Joe had only one thought. This really needs a soundtrack. <laughs> Hell yeah. One of Seven's small dark eyes rolled to peer up at him. Joe, her voice said in his mind, are you trying to sing Ride of the Valkyries? Dun, 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 dun. He belted at the top of his lungs. He flung his arms wide, tilting back at his head. Dun, 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 dun. Sharks couldn't smile, but he could feel her laughter echoing down the meat bond. He's such a loser. I love him so yeah, much. I'm in agreed. love with him. So they meet back up with the gang. Blah, blah. The gang's like, why, why are you on flight? What's happening? And it's really good. <laughs> also, we find out that the power of like retaining your clothes when you shift only applies to mythic shifters <laughs> and everyone else, their clothes absolutely get destroyed. Well, like Animorphs. Like Animorphs. Well, okay. So Animorphs initially. You can have Leonards. <laughs> they initially always tear their clothes and they, the first like two books, they're like, every time we shift, it's so awkward and they eventually realize that if they keep skin tight clothing like underneath speedo. them, like speedos and, <laughs> and a lot of like gym clothes, like compression clothes, that they can, it's skin like enough that they can like shift. Don't worry with about it, it dude. <laughs> Sarline. <laughs> oh, so sorry. Yeah, so anyway, so Joe is like, can somebody give me a, their jacket so that my girlfriend doesn't have to walk naked through this camp? Oh my god. I mean, that's basically it. Um, yeah. yeah. Epilogue's good. Yeah, the epilogue is good. Oh, also, wait, wait, wait. yeah, we gotta stop here for a second because Zoe Chant delivers a second sex scene that I did not expect. Yes! yes. And I loved. The final sex scene. That we all deserve. And it's a mood, honestly. It's a mood, for sure. It is the best little quickie of all time. A single page. Like, not even. Yeah. Seven says, Joe, we have to get up and cut line in four hours. And he's like, ah, all right then. And so then she straddles him and she's like, so I'll be quick. She sank down (laughs) onto him, capturing him in her wet heat. All thought fled. There was nothing in the world but her riding him hard enough to make him see stars. It's just, it's, <sighs> it is quick and mm-hmm. cute and uh, really nice and hot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then after, you know, they come, she says, there, I finally found out how to make you stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> A mighty feat, he agreed. You should add it to your name, you know, officially. Seventh novice, slayer of demons, silencer of Joe. 
guardian of the sea's heart. They're so fucking cute. They They're are. so cute. Oh, also, she confesses her <sighs> birth name. Yeah. Because she isn't actually going to be seven once she's a knight. She's going to be 14th. <laughs> 14th knight. <laughs> and she confesses in the most... The most contrived of things that her name is actually Saren, S-E-R-E-N. Which like is cute, but honestly, Seven's cuter. It is cuter. Seven's cute. But then I do love this where he says, Saren, he whispered, oh yes, my Saren. Sleep enfolded them both softly as a blanket and all his dreams were good. Like what yeah. a good line to end on. Yeah. Granted, we have the epilogue, but like. That's really so sweet. That's so good. So the epilogue in shortest of terms is like, she gets knighted and Lord Azure is like, ah, but she's a, a shark bitch. Saren formally challenges him to a duel and mm-hmm. the Pearl Empress is like, all right, don't, don't get my carpet dirty. <laughs> just, just to first blood. And the crowd falls absolutely silent, riveted by this unexpected drama. To which I said, the undersea mm. YouTube drama channels are buzzing. They're like <laughs> the the gossip is on point. They're putting this shit on World Star. <laughs> Lord Asher is like losing in this duel, and he's like, "Oh, but my secret weapon!" <laughs> and he like cuts his arm open, and he like kind of dangles it in front of her thinking that she's going to go into a bloodlust and prove that she's like some kind of monster and instead she makes a fucking fool of him it's great (laughs) where she's like you know if you think that you're going to win by drawing your own blood it's not going to do it and the empress is like all right you're a fucking idiot and then she basically like you're an idiot and a bigot and actually you're dismissed and it's like "Mm, Mm -hmm. yes we needed that yeah. Also, real like slamming down people against uh, trans women sports energy. Interesting, Lord Azure. Earlier, you claimed that the Demon Slayer was. Oh, that's her. That's her new nickname. Her her new like title, by the way. Demon Not Slayer. The anime. Yeah, the anime. <laughs> Lover of Demon Slayer. <laughs> that the Demon Slayer was unworthy to join the order because she was a shark, and now miraculously, it seems that the same animal makes her unfairly powerful. You cannot have it both ways. So, which is it to be? I, I, I was only attempting to defend the noble traditions of our order. Shut the fuck up, bitch. Shut the fuck up. Water is yeah. the porpoise of this, even. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway. A few, a few more in. <laughs> that, was, that was a good one. I like that one. Okay, so the final epilogue is that two months later, they're at a completely different fire, I guess. And this news crew turns up. And Joe, immediately before the news crew turns up, he's like, Hey, everyone, look your best, especially you, Callum. Initially, it's like, ooh, is Callum about to meet his mate? <laughs> and uh, no, but Joe pushes him to do a TV interview and in a completely different part of the country. And now here's Christina with a very special report on the firefighters working hard to keep us all safe from the wildfires raging across the country. Take it away, Christina. Diana was elbow deep in laundry, but the word firefighter snagged her attention. She glanced up at the television screen, yelped, and scrabbled for the remote control. Hands shaking, she managed to pause the picture just as the caption flashed up on the bottom of the screen. Callum Tiernick West, Thunder Mountain Hotshots. She stared at the face frozen above the words, those narrow emerald eyes, those movie star cheekbones, that bright auburn hair. It was him. It was him. Behind her, Beth started to wail. Never taking her eyes off the screen, Diana reached for her daughter. She bounced her on her shoulder, patting her back until she calmed. Look, baby, 
Diana whispered, holding Beth up so she could see the man too. Look, that's your daddy. <gasps> Discover Callum's secrets in Wildfire Pegasus, a book that had to be written twice. But it doesn't say that last part. What? Have you not heard, Nicole? Oh, oh thanks. you Ooh. haven't heard? Oh. So here's a little preview for the next book that you're going to read. Late December 2020, I believe. Wildfire Pegasus comes out. And a very vocal population. I don't know how many, what percentage of readers is actually numbered to. But a large portion hates this book. So Zoe Chant had to go and make major rewrites and published a second edition two weeks later. Oh shit, two weeks? Two weeks. It wasn't even, I thought it was like two years. No, it was two weeks. Damn. So I'm currently trying to track down an original copy because you can basically only get the second edition. Mm-hmm. Even like Hoda, a physical copy. So there is one physical copy on eBay. It doesn't say whether it's first or second edition, but it's $75. Holy shit. What? <laughs> and I'm not willing to spend to buy that. <laughs> you can just write that off, babe. Taxes. That is true. <laughs> That's fucking wild. That's it. That's it. That's the book. That's the book. Rating. So Ratings. Nicole and Forrest smash her pass on Joe Small. No, he's not, smash, but... Smash, 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 yeah. smash, smash. Yeah, I gotta say smash. 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 So hard. I'm gonna smash my fucking head through a wall. Like, the things mm-hmm. I would do to this mm-hmm. man. Yeah. I'm ready. So Nicole and Forrest smash a pass on seventh novice of the Order of the First Water Squire to the Honored Lord Azure. Smash, 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 smash. Please bite me. Please bite me. <laughs> Please. Yeah. Hard, hard smash. smash. Please bite me. God, That's going to be a bite for me. <laughs> smash, smash, smash. Colin Forrest, what do you give this book on steaminess? 11. Yeah, wow. a thousand. This <laughs> book was so fucking steamy. I give it, this gets a five out of five for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. For the dirty talk alone, but also just all of the other shit that fucking Joe does and the goddamn claiming bullshit i'm mm, so good everything it checks off all my boxes it checks off boxes i didn't even know i had it's everything (laughs) to me i want this if and when i die just take those 10 pages and engrave them onto my headstone (laughs) (laughs) oh my god I'm going to give it a five. I was thinking of giving it a 4.9 because to me, a five is more consistently steamy throughout. Mm-hmm. And there are, there are steamy parts throughout, like, but they're not like, like up there, you know? It's really like one really, really fucking good sex scene, another re- smaller good sex scene, and like some, some, like some horny touching before then. Mm-hmm. I will give it a five. With the caveat that it is a soft five. But you're hard, so. Yeah, but I'm hard, so that's the, <laughs> that's the other caveat. That's valid, my friends. Mm-hmm. What do y'all give this for dreaminess? It's a five, again. Uh, like, it's a five. I, it's, it's a five. It's a five, because even if they never met, the idea that Joe has been dreaming about this woman since he was, like, 14 and been doing everything in his life he's even willing to like ruin his life to make sure that this love of his life that he's never actually met lives yeah 
<sighs> yeah, it's a solid hard five for me. Mm-hmm. I get just Joe. Please call me, please. My phone number is two zero three. She's begging. <laughs> and the way that Seven really like sees him, yeah. like it's not all like Joe doting onto her. Like Seven very uh-huh. clearly like sees him and understands him, thinks he's a great person, and like calls him out on his bullshit. Yeah, calls him out on his bullshit. It, she thinks that he's actually like really responsible despite everything and would make a good leader if he wanted to, but also like really supports him in whatever he actually wants to do. She's amazing, honestly. Mm -hmm. She doesn't like, also, I just this kind of thought of this from this, you know, 10 years of polyamory person here. Mm -hmm. She like doesn't fucking like have any like jealousy about Mm -hmm. the fact that he's been just like sleeping his way through the like entire like, population (laughs) you know and like she just i mean at first she's just kind of like oh he's not taking things seriously like he's whatever that's her issue it's not that he's like being a slut it's that he's like you know oh she he doesn't like get how like our you know culture works and like he's he doesn't take things seriously and he's just like wants to party but once she like gets to know him yeah she's like she sees him she gets him she's like fully on board with him she supports him there's no question she's not trying to change him at all and then yeah and then him like the fucking communication that they have in this book it's unseen like he apologizes multiple times throughout the book when he like gets something wrong and like the way that they just like bond it's it's so fucking good yeah yeah a billion five out of five oh yeah i mean like the communication is like really it there are so many times in this book where they could have just like fallen into one of those tropes where it's like oh my god Mm -hmm. like he doesn't want me because i'm a shark Mm -hmm. like no they fucking squashed that right off the bat Joe says sharks are hot. Sharks, <laughs> yeah. We fuck sharks in this chat. <laughs> just, oh my god! It, everything about them—they're just so good together on their own too. They're amazing. A hard five out of five for dreaminess. All right, uh, Nicole and Oak. Uh, oh, what do you oh, give okay. this on? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you give this one on? I listen to the podcast. What do you, uh, what do you rate this one on? Uh, Meminess. This isn't my perfect three. Three perfect fives book. No. This is, it's like a, it's like a three for Mimi-ness. I was going to give it like a three also. This is actually the book where Joe is the most serious. Yeah. True. It's true. I'm going to go to 3.5 because he still does get some good like witty shit in there. And like also just like the, no, let us not forget the fucking baby shark yeah. and the Taylor Swift ringtone. Like mm-hmm. that is good stuff. So I, I stand with my meme king. Here's my take is that I felt like it was a little too forced at times. Mm. And so that kind of took away from it. Where, like, there are some things that really did hit. Like, I thought it was really funny when he was captured and he was just, like, fucking shit-talking the whole time. Like, that's fun. You know, and then they have some fun things between them as, like, far as their dynamic. But I feel like some of those jokes, like the Taylor Swift ringtone and the mm-hmm. baby shark thing, I'm like, that's a... I feel like you're trying too hard. And that took away from it for me. <laughs> yeah. Fair. I, I agree. But like I said, I think it's a three. This, I think, though, is probably the closest I've gotten. Well, this and Nanny and the Beast have been my top ones so far. I think he gave Nanny and the Beast a five. Did that give a solid five out of or five, five, five? No, you didn't give a five, five, five. Yeah. You gave the dreaminess like a 3.5. Okay. Because your book was missing like three chapters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. 
This is like real, real up there for me. This is my favorite wildfire book so yep. far. I'm not sure it's my favorite book that I've read for the podcast, period. Mm-hmm. It's really good, though. And I speak for myself and Claudia here. Mm-hmm. This is definitely up there. Yeah. I really love these characters. I, I've i really come to, like, appreciate this team. It's so good. The found family is, I'm going to cry. I love yeah. them so much. They're they so good. are our friends now. Friends of the yeah. show. Yeah. The Hotshot crew. Well, anything else before we wrap things up for today? I don't know. My final thought is that, like, this book is is good. And I think if you were going to read one wildfire book, read this one. Because they all do stand on their own. It sort of, mostly. This one, out of the three we've read, probably stands the most on its own. Agreed. Yeah. It's a good book. I Okay, so predictions for the rest of the series, because we have three more yeah. books in this series. And something about Wildfire Hellhound is giving me vibes. I feel like that's going to be a new favorite also. I don't know how I feel about Pegasus. Callum's kind of just there, and also yeah. there's a baby now. <laughs> we at least get more depth into Callum. It's fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking for horny. I feel like Fenrir fucks, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Got that furry shit. Absolutely love that in my life. I'm definitely coming back for that one. Claudia can take Claudia can take the baby book. I'm here for the feral shit. The baby book. <laughs> cool. So what are we reading next time? So next time, uh, you and Claudia are going to read The Makeup Test by Jenny L. Howe. Right. Jenny L. Howe being an author local to my area. So that'll oh, be a fun read. That's very fun. And I believe this is her debut novel. So this will be good. Is also quite long. I'm just going to say the audiobook is almost 12 hours. Oh my gosh. Holy shit. Yeah, I'm just saying. It's only 332 pages. What are you saying in there that's taking so long? (laughs) Cool. So next time we will be reading the makeup test. And until then, my friends, it has been a pleasure having both of you back on here with me. Thank you. I had a great time. It's always a pleasure to be here. So what would you like to plug? I mean, you can follow me on Twitter at Skater Himbo. If you don't remember who I am, I'm Claudia's boyfriend in a dyke way, I believe is what she said. (laughs) (laughs) So happy to be here. You can also follow me on Twitter. I have my own Twitter, Oak Alexandrite, all one word. You can see Vini roasting on Twitter. Yeah, you can see my girlfriend (laughs) roast me. Um, I usually post screenshots of that. I post about my girlfriend a lot in in relation to how much I actually tweet. Um, I also make stupid jokes, so you can look forward to reading things like (laughs) ritual sex with my werewolf boyfriend, call that not magic. Oh my god. Anyway. You can follow me on Twitter at SexyPagliacci, as in the sad clown. And Claudia's not here, but you can follow her at Punk Dyke on Twitter. Can't believe nobody had that. I can't believe no one had that. <laughs> hey, guys, have you heard that nobody had that app? No one I had that app. I still can't believe it. Still can't believe it. It's truly unbelievable, which is why I need to be reminded every episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Claudia, we love you. We're not making fun of you. Oh, yeah, no, we love awesome. you, Claudia. <laughs> I'm in awe. I'm in fucking awe that she got that one. It's the catchphrase. (laughs) Gotta say the full thing. You can follow the show at the 3LW Podcast on Twitter and 
Instagram and TikTok and all the things and on Patreon, where we will at this point have uploaded some stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can usually get episodes like a week early there, if not sooner. Again, friends, it was great having you back here with me. Can't wait till the next one, till the baby book. And we will catch you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode was brought to you by our patron, June B, and by listeners like you. Thank you. Lights, camera, adaptations. Ever watched your favorite book become a movie and said, huh, well that certainly was a weird decision? Of course you have. Hollywood is constantly making changes for their adaptations, and this podcast aims to answer the question of why. Join host Emma Shannon and a different guest every month on Unnatural Selection, a new Moonshot Network podcast, as they talk about a film, its source material, and what makes an adaptation good, faithful, and less commonly, good and faithful. Check out episode one, coming to a podcatcher near you on February 15th.